0: TV movies fun. Join Amanda, Dan, and Nate as they discuss their favorite made-for-TV movies on the Made for TV Mayhem Show.
1: listening to the made for tv mayhem show um you may have forgotten what show this was because we've been gone for such a long time i can't even remember the last time we actually recorded but it's been quite some time but we're back and we're really excited to be here the three of us are actually all here and we're all committed to this episode um which is going to be really good i think um so just briefly we are covering two curtis harrington tv movies and i'll go really briefly into why we're doing that but um the two movies we're doing are Cat Creature from 1973 and The Killer Bees, which I believe are both ABC Movie of the Weeks, uh, two classic horror films from the classic era of the TV movies, and um, and wonderful films. I'm not going to even try to hold back on my opinions on them. I think they're both really amazing and have a lot of interesting things to say, um, particularly The Killer Bees, so I'm really looking forward to getting to that. But um, before we do that, I want to say hello to my co-host. Hey, Dan, what's up?
0: Uh not much. I, I do wanna to apologize to everyone if um I sound like I'm yelling at you. I'm leaning away from my mic. <laughs> Skype I just did a Skype update. Update. A Skype update? Um that's like <laughs> that's like Dick Van Dyke, but a Skype update. Um but I just did a Skype update and um I, I, I think I, I hope I'm not sounding too I'm actually leaned away from the mic, just kind of casual. You know, it's you just, nice to be back doing Made for TV Mayhem. Yeah,
1: you gotta lean back and enjoy it, you know. Yeah, so you
0: it's been a while although I will I will say this um, out of all the recordings I do pod, uh, podcast wise, the most stressful ones for some reason are these. I don't know why Skype good. always seems to do something <laughs> beforehand. Something always seems to go screwball right before. I gotta ignore the Skype updates or yeah. the updikes or whatever they are you need before to, they happen.
1: I like you to be on your toes on this podcast.
0: Exactly. So. Oh, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm good to go. I got, yeah. I got Merrill right here, wide open, and Perfect. and we're ready to go. So, Yay. Excited, excited.
1: And we are actually here with Nate, who I don't think I've talked to in forever. Hey, Nate, what's up?
0: Hey,
2: nothing much. Just um, you know, enjoying September, I guess.
1: Well, have you have you broke out the bat pajamas yet?
2: (laughs) Um, no, no, not yet. It's not quite that weather just yet it's okay. still kind of warm here mm,
1: it is yeah it was like 100 degrees today in austin and yeah it was pretty <sighs> annoying to be perfect we
0: were at eighty, eighty-two 82 here in in the valley in los angeles
1: that's like 100 here
3: <laughs> well
1: you guys don't i mean your house might but a lot of places in la don't have central heating i mean air conditioning because you guys <laughs> don't deal with the heat that much like you have really temperate weather
0: so just we're big a, on that we're big on that.
1: Just a story I'll tell real quick cuz I actually told it yesterday and also it's going to lead us into our first segment which is a little different. Um is that uh I went to LA out in April. I did I made a super secret trip and I'll tell you why in a second and I stayed with a good friend of mine and it they you guys had a cold spell. Mm. So like it and when I say cold spell I mean it went into like the 50s or 60s but yes. in Texas that's freezing. And so I didn't look, apparently I didn't look at the weather and I brought one long sleeve shirt, which I had to wear all four days because it turned out to be kind of crisp and nice out. And so every night at around the same time, I would say, oh man, it's really cold. I didn't expect it to be this cold. And my good friend Devin turned to me and he said, did you ever think to look up the fucking weather? Cause he got so tired of hearing me complain <sighs> about how cold it was that he finally just like laid it out. And then he was like, can you spend the night at your other friend's house? And I was like, yes, that's actually two separate events, but he did. kick. Um, but <laughs> but only because- have,
0: if if I hadn't been, I, I was not feeling very well. I would have gladly invited you over if I had not thought that I had COVID.
1: Yeah. As long as you had a heater, I would have been up for it. But, we were um, good. Yeah, but yeah, it was a great trip. And the reason why I went out there was because I was contacted by a uh, Um, Somebody working for Shudder Television, which is a streaming platform, uh, to be a part of their 101 scariest horror movie moments ever, I think, or of all time is the title, full title. And I went out and and I shot for like 90 minutes. They asked me some questions. I was pretty sure I didn't get anything right or say anything usable. It was a very nerve-wracking experience, even though I've done a couple of these. And it turns out I ended up on at least the first two episodes. um, And, and I'm really excited and amazed. And so Dan suggested, um, why don't, Nate and I talk about our scariest horror movie moments ever, or of all time, um, just to share. And um, I didn't really get to talk about, I think, my favorite. I didn't actually prep anything for this. But um, there are some movies on the list, and I don't want to give it away, that are definitely my my all-time scariest. Mm-hmm. But there, I think there's a couple that they looked over. But they did do at least one TV movie, I can tell you. Salem's Lot Yay. is on the list. I can say that because they've already aired that episode um yeah so so they have some good stuff uh i have seen the full list it's pretty amazing um i think people are pretty happy with the show so far so if you don't have shutter or if you do have shutter and you want to check it out that's where to go um they're releasing one episode a week by the time this comes out they'll probably have done three or four episodes Um, but i think you can backtrack and watch them whenever you want if you have the subscription Mm. but anyway enough of that um let's go ahead and have you guys share a couple of your favorite horror movie moments. I know this was your idea, Dan. That's why I'm going to hand it over to Nate first, just to stick it in.
0: Sure, here. sure. Do you want to do, no. do Nate, Nate does three and then I'll do uh, Nate does his first. I'll do my first. Yeah, and my and I think okay. you guys will
1: just go back and forth and and, um, and then we'll see what we'd like to say about them, uh, each other yeah. or your guys' choices. So yeah. Nate, what would you say is one year all-time Scariest horror movie moments.
2: And this is in no particular order. Okay. Um, but, yeah, so uh, the first one I wanted to bring up is uh, definitely from my childhood. Um, so it's still the kind of the fear that I had when I was a kid still kind of resonates with me today. And it's from uh, Tourist Trap. And it's the scene where the character Eileen leaves the um, Oasis um like, like, um, you know, store and goes down to the house and she's climbing in through a window and there's all these like mannequins and it's dark and it's creepy. And then you start hearing somebody whispering her name, like, um, and then when you see what it is, it's like this mannequin faced uh, figure. And that terrified me as a kid. So that's one I'm going to go with because it's still kind of, you know, I find it pretty freaky today too.
1: Is, is that the girl that's in the rocking chair and she's got like the scarf and the, and the knitted shawl on.
2: Yes. Later. Yeah. Uh, she's like there. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. So the first time, I don't know exactly when it happens. um, But the first time I saw tourist trap, I was an adult and a really good friend of mine was introducing me to a lot of horror. Actually him and his roommate, we were just renting them like crazy. And he's like, you have to see tourist trap. And he rented it. And there's a scene, I think in that house with Eileen, I think that's where it happens where one of the mannequins comes forward and it's like, Oh, for the first time. Or yes. Yes. And yeah. I actually screamed out loud. I could not <laughs> contain how freaked out I was. And ever since then, I've loved that movie. So the, Eileen, I didn't know the the character's name. That's why I wanted to clarify who she was in the film. Um, the her the whole thing when she goes down to the house like oh, the build-up of all of that scene is tremendous mm-hmm. that is such a good choice and dan what do you th- you you must remember this scene too i'm guessing
3: yeah
0: yeah i I do, I do i actually about a month or two before covid hit um the egyptian theater did um maybe it's three or four months before they did an all-day an um a horror thing and the last film they showed was taurus trap so i got to see it on the big screen mm. And it was so good. And yeah, the first time I saw it, yeah, it was on video before then. I loved it. And my wife was actually, she was in like a an acting class or something. And they had guests who would show up from the um, entertainment industry. And the director of Taurus, this was 20 years ago, the director oh, of Taurus Trap. David was Schmoller
1: there. or something like yes, that, right?
0: Yes. And she was like, and I said, who, who was the guest today? Oh, David Schmoller or something. He's a director. And I said, Taurus Trap. And she looked at me and said, what are you talking about? And I said, he made Taurus Trap. Yeah, he did. He told us that with Tanya Roberts. I said, yeah, it's fantastic. It scare the hell out of you. Chuck Connors at his nuttiest. You thought he was great as the Rifleman. You should see him as this giant mannequin guy thing, it, whatever it
1: is. It's a party. You remember that part? <laughs> <right>? <laughs> yeah. uh, Tanya Roberts, by the way, is great in that film. And I remember David mm-hmm. Schmoller talking on the commentary, which is pretty good, um, about it was an early role for her and how she mm-hmm. really came in and she was working really hard um, yeah. and one of her earliest roles. And she really had this yes. desire to to act and she's quite good in it. And she's stunning. Yeah.
0: yeah oh, she's great. Is that before Charlie's angels?
1: Yeah. A little before Charlie's okay. angels. I think
0: she did, I think forced entry. I think she did yeah. before that. Yeah. Which I that haven't was, seen. I haven't seen it in, Twenty years, yeah, a long time, a long time, yeah.
1: But uh, but yeah, everything about that movie is so good. That's it's a fun, great so weird, choice.
0: So weird.
1: Yeah. yeah. Um, Dan, what's what would you pick?
0: Uh, my my number three is um, uh, I I don't quite know how to describe the the scene, but it's it's from a film called Hell House LLC. Mm. It's a it's a more recent film, and it's about a bunch of filmmakers who go in. Uh, they, they're basically taking an old haunted house, haunted hotel, sorry, and they're going to make it into the Halloween attraction. And things go crazy in the house and the film. There are three. It's a trilogy. And it has this one of the scariest basements in all of horror film history. But there's a scene in it where sort of uh, the snarky, I think, cameraman is they all stay in the hotel and he's in his dingy hotel room about to go to bed and he's testing his camera. And as he's moving the camera around the room, it passes the doorway and something standing in the doorway. and it's 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 a found footage sort of documentary type kind of thing you know that we all we all know and love and and it's one of those scenes where he kind of throws the um sheet over himself and then he keeps lifting up the sheet and and the whatever it is is a little closer Uh a little closer and by the end of the scene and i watched this like six months ago i had my hand uh, i'm i'm an old guy i had my hand over my face peeking out through my fingers and it gets closer and closer and closer and the ending is very much like that that short film i want to say lights out
3: Oh, or the oh,
0: yeah. so Yes,
2: where
3: the me. woman keeps,
0: yeah where the woman keeps turning and this thing gets close and then she's at her bedside and you see the th- and that's this is a variation of that and it's it's a scary film there are some crazy clowns in the basement that will make you shriek um the whole the, like i said the whole trilogy is great but this is this is a scene th- this is the 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 one scene well I, I like quite a few of the scenes but this was the one that like when the movie was over i was like dan did you just literally put your hands over your face and almost <laughs> throw a blanket over your head during this scene so yeah and, and this scene i've watched it again since then did the same thing so that's that's my my third it's it's a more recent one for me but it's one that i know will sit with me for a God, while
1: sounds great nate have you seen it
0: Oh, yes, I love that movie. It is really scary. The, the basement is the best because it has this old, rotten, like, staircase, but then you have to immediately turn to the right. And because it's found footage, the camera goes down, goes down, and then turns to the right, you never know what's standing right there. Uh. And it's, it's like the clowns are crazy, and the, the layout of the hotel, it's deliberately, it's not like an H.H. H. Holmes kind of thing specifically, but it's laid out like kind of crazy. So as many times as they go through the hotel, you're never quite certain where you are, but you see certain things. You go, oh, we're we're in the kitchen. Oh, we're at this room. Oh, we're in the attic. You know, stuff like that. But it's just – it's a beautiful trilogy. The, the folks who made it did a real nice job. And there's
1: – Give us uh, the title again just so everybody can check it oh, out. Oh, uh,
0: Hell House LLC. Perfect. And, two, I, and, and they have the – two and three have like um, – uh, Subtitles, but you look up Hell House, LLC,
1: and it's great. That sounds really good, and that made me think of when we're talking about newer movies. um, And I'll just be very brief off the top of my head. One of my favorite, most recent scary scenes was in the first Paranormal Activity. When you talk about watching movies where you've got your hands Uh over your eyes, like for some reason, ghost stories. Even though I don't, I don't necessarily believe in ghosts one way or the other, but like, um, there's. A scene when, I guess they're, I don't even remember the whole thing. It's been a while since I've seen it. But they're sleeping in bed. And I think the woman gets up and Mm -hmm. stands over the guy sleeping. And she just stares at him. And there's like the little time rolling at the bottom. And it's just all night. And I'm like, what is happening? And you know what I mean? It freaked me out to the point that I've never seen another paranormal activity. Because (laughs) I got so scared watching it that I just couldn't bear the idea of watching any of the sequels. And I know I want to see, I loved it, but it just, there's something about it that really got to me. I thought that was a good one. And Nate, you've seen all the Paranormal Activities, right?
2: Yes, I've seen them all.
1: Do you, you like them?
2: I like them all, yeah. Um, uh, I don't know. I just, uh, I know that there are people that don't uh, care for the sequels, but, you know, they're varying in quality, but overall I enjoy them all.
0: I awesome. uh, it's I had never seen one until right before Thanksgiving of last year, 2021, and Amazon had a set of the first six. Oh, for oh, like
1: 15 six?
0: fifteen. There are seven.
1: Oh my god!
0: If you if you, if you count, is it the dark? What's the uh, the the one night where they go to the farm and the the? Um, I forget I forget what it's and they think it's an Amish family, but they're actually not. Uh, it's the dark ones or something Ooh, like I that. Oh uh,
2: yeah. Uh, um, and the titles
0: i, I can't yes, title. i know i don't remember the, the well, because what happened was uh, the week before thanksgiving i picked up this the, the first six and for some reason over the next six fridays from like thanksgiving to christmas i watched one a friday i would finish work Get dinner, sit down, and watch it. So I watched all six paranormal, like the first six, over the course of six weeks, and they're so much fun if you watch them like that because they're all interconnected. Yes, and they it. all go back, and it's just like there's a moment, in like three or four, where suddenly like a character is suddenly back in the house from one, and you're like, and you're at the end of part one, and you're like, what the hell is going on? It's they really thought it through i think and that's that's awesome. um and there's and it's filled with like scares where you just want to pee your pants and run
1: yeah it's i great. love it it just really got to me for some reason it was a very effective film um nate what's your next pick uh
2: my next pick uh i'm definitely going to go a little more obvious with this one because it's another one that stuck with me from childhood but it's the Classic eye through the door scene in Black Christmas. Yeah. Hey. Iconic. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Iconic. It's,
2: um And for anyone that doesn't know, and I'm going to try to not be too spoilery this here, is... but um, you know, Black Christmas is about a killer that sneaks into the attic of the sorority house over the Christmas holidays and begins to kill um, the girls in the house. And after each uh, kill, he calls and talks to uh, the main character on the phone and the phone calls themselves are very creepy and, and scary as well. But like, you know, for most of the movie, obviously they don't know that the killer is in the house. And towards the end of the film, you know, when Olivia Hussey finally finds out that they are, uh, that the killer actually is in the house, you know, she being a good friend, probably better friend than I would be. <laughs> um she <laughs> she uh goes upstairs to check on them and she's like pushing on this bedroom door but it's like won't budge for a minute and then finally it gives way and she falls down as it does and you know she uh sees you know the craziness that's going on in that room uh. I won't spoil it but then she hears the same whispering that she hears in those phone calls and then she looks over and the crack in the door Ah, uh, there's the an eye just staring at her. Basically, the killer's on the other side of the door, and then you know, of course, she takes off and the killer takes off after her in very hot pursuit. Oh. So, screaming. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and it's just it's it's a great scene. The, you know, the um the build up to it's very quiet, but once the action starts, like her and the killer are both screaming. It's yeah, it's a pretty scary uh, sequence.
1: Yeah, in a really scary film. I mean, like yes. you're talking about that scene, and I'm running the movie through my head, and I'm like, "Oh wait, that scene was scary. Yes. That scene was yeah. scary. That yeah. scene was scary." Yes. And I think yeah. the first phone call always kind of gets me because uh-huh. it's it's like it's. They, I think they use three people to record the call, and I think it's Nick Mancuso. There was a woman, and maybe Bob Clark with the three voices. I think, and um and they all blend together and it's supposed to be one person and it's just so jarring. Yes. The first time you hear it, plus the language and everything, it just really yeah. like just sets you like, Oh, I'm so uncomfortable right now. Um yeah. That's such a great scene though. That eyeball is like, and to keep it in the realm of TV movies, yes. it's very bad. Ronald which came out, yes. in, I think the same year. So I, I
0: thought of both of those. <laughs> yeah, so my, That's really yep.
1: interesting. And, and I know Dan, you must have some things to say about black Christmas.
0: Oh, I, I adore Black Christmas. I've watched it uh, once a year, every year yep. since ni- 1994, yep. and I've owned it on crappy VHS, crappier VHS, yep. crappy DVD, better DVD, <laughs> decent Blu-ray, and I think I've got a good Blu-ray
3: okay.
0: now. But yeah, it's it's such a great movie. I mean, my I'll be honest, my sort of my sort of favorite uh, favorite moments. Uh, that that's one of my favorites The Scream. And, but, but just the, the, I love those scenes with, well, I don't love them. That's not the right word where they're looking for the little girl who's gone oh, missing yeah and they're in, they're in the park or the woods. And you see all these people out there just looking for, trying to find this little girl and you could tell it's so cold and everyone's so freezing. And then when they find the little girl and, and the mom pushes forward through everyone looks down and you don't see the little girl, but the mom lets out this scream yeah and it's just like it's it's not scary but it's it's heartbreak and that's one of the great things about the movies you get you get that you get moments like the fellatio scene which is best. hilarious and you just get the image of you know the the one gal there the the leading gal from strange brew with the plastic bag over her head just in the rocking chair with the cat licking her face you get mrs what's her name um with the booze everywhere yeah. and mrs. Um, mac. Just, mrs mac yes who was so great and deranged Yes. Uh, around the same time. Um, and you just get you get everything and you get one of those and of course the ending of that movie when the camera slowly moves away, moves away, and then the phone rings. Oh, Don't so good. Don't so good, it. so good. Yeah, it's oh, oh, no, um that's and the phone rings and it's um they, it's, it's Ed Pizza McMahon. Hunt. They won, um, uh, the uh, some sort of prize. I don't know. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. Sorry, everyone. <laughs> don't listen to that. We're gonna to put a spoiler. We're not gonna put a spoiler alert. No, Sorry, but, everyone.
1: <laughs> but yeah, that's the, everything in that movie is so well done. It's like a perfect yes. film for me. It's and beautiful. Nate and I were actually talking before the recording about how. I saw somebody online saying something about a horror movie, and they said, well, it has a lot of unlikable characters, but that's par for the course. And we were like, that's not necessarily the norm. And Black Christmas is a perfect example of a movie filled with characters that you love and you care about and you want to see, make it to the end. And when some of them don't, it's really upsetting, you know, because you're invested in them, particularly one character, and I won't say who it is, but (laughs) and you guys are probably thinking a a couple of different people maybe. But anyway, it's Mm -hmm. so good. Um, Yeah. Dan, what is your
0: next pick? Uh, my next pick, we're going to go to Australia, and we are going to go to the, um, I, I, I I didn't look it up. I've seen the film three times, but I didn't look up to see exactly where this footage is from. But it's the last moments. I think of a, a young girl who drowns in a lake. It's the last moments of her cell phone footage. She's at a party mm. with some friends, and she leaves the party. Something weird is going on at the party. And as she's walking away from the party with her, I think I think she it's her cell phone in front of her. Something out of the darkness begins to walk towards her.
1: Yeah, don't be too spoilery. No, is this? i have done. Mongo, that's that's, that's Lake
0: Mungo. That's all yeah, I'm saying. I haven't
1: seen it, so no,
0: no, that's there. That's I, 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 I apologize, but it's 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 the final moments of the cell phone yeah. footage in Lake Mungo, and that's it.
1: Yeah, I know that that exists, uh, but I've hold off on it. I really want to see it, and for some reason, when it comes down to picking movies, I always forget that, that I should watch that. And the I next, know oh, The next
0: ahead. one I do, I'll say the title first. Okay, that's fine. I thought I'd, I thought I'd be dramatic.
1: Oh, I didn't mean to cut you off. I'm sorry. Um, oh, no, no, that's okay. Uh, Nate, I know you've seen this movie. You're a big fan of it, aren't you?
2: Oh, I love, like, Mungo. It's actually, um, I think it's a very, like, sad and haunting yes. horror film. Like, there's just a lot of, you know, um, like talk about you know dealing with the trauma of this uh girl's death and um you know how it's affected the family and and things like that i mean it's just it's got a lot of heart but dan is right when they do recover the cell phone footage i was like um i wasn't ready for that i'll just say that so very good very good very good choice
1: thank you awesome yeah so lake mongo everybody Uh, i think that everybody kind of knows how it ends they just don't know exactly what everybody sees at the Mm -hmm. film that's my understanding anyway so we haven't spoiled it um which is great um i can't think of another one off the top of my head i mean i mentioned bad ronald which would be like one of the most iconic moments ever the eyeball scene in that so i'll just say if i'm going to pick one randomly i'll pick that one um nate what's your next pick
2: uh my next one is from Candyman from 1992 um uh, Tony Todd is honestly brilliant as Candyman. He is fantastic. But the parts of Candyman that I find terrifying is actually the beginning where we just hear the lore about mm-hmm. Candyman. And in particular, the scene where um, you know they're learning the story of this character called Ruthie Jean who uh, called the police because Candyman or someone was trying to break through the walls and the police didn't believe her. And by the time they finally got to her house, she was dead. Well, there's a scene where they run into a neighbor of hers uh, named Anne Marie, and they're just kind of talking to her. And then Anne Marie just kind of talks about what the night was like when Ruthie Jean was killed, how she could hear her screaming through the walls and how, you know, she's scared for her child and and for herself because she's like, they're never going to catch him. And, you know, of course, of course, they're like, who? And she's like the candy man. And I just think that's uh, terrifying to think that there was this like, um, you know, person like behind the walls, like, and this idea that he could just come into your apartment anytime he felt like it. Um, I just, yeah, I think that uh, movie is, is very good. And, you know, the beginning, especially, I find very scary, especially that film score. It's got an amazing score.
1: It has an amazing score. Uh, It's been a long time since I've seen the original Candyman, but what I remember most about it is kind of the uh, urban decay and that kind of like sense of dread. And when they first show up at Cabrini Green and they've got all that graffiti, including that like mouth that opens, right? Mm -hmm. It's just so beautifully done. And it reminds me that even though Clive Barker didn't make Candyman, like he wrote the story it's based on, but that, that movie and Hellraiser both have these really great kind of urban decay aesthetics mm-hmm. that I really love um, and that I think create a lot of dread in the film. And so what I remember most about it is a feeling of dread more than just, and her and poor Virginia Matson getting arrested. Oh, I remember I that, yeah.
0: Her
2: it's, character gets a raw
1: deal. She sure does. Time. It's and,
0: funny, like you think Ash got it rough in Evil Dead. Well, I don't know.
1: No, she got it worse. Yeah, what do you remember about the movie, Dan?
0: I remember really enjoying it. I I saw it in a in a in a sold out theater the night it came out, and I saw it with three or four friends, and we we shrieked and we we just had a great time. But I do also remember there were two people behind us who kept doing that thing where it was like,
3: "What's he doing there?
0: He's going to see that guy. What's she doing?" She's talking to the mirror. Why? (laughs) It's a candy man. It's like, and at least at two occasions, we turned around and said, Please stop. Please stop. I think that may have been one of the last. No, I think the next year it was Jason Goes to Hell. That was one of the last horror films I've seen in the theater apart from old horror films. Yeah. Because I have a tough time seeing new horror films in the theater because I I can't deal with the way people deal with (laughs) movies sometimes. But I don't mind older stuff. But it's like I, I like when I saw Jason Goes to Hell. It was literally ninety minutes of people screaming and yes. going, "Get him! Get him! Do yes. it, God! You got it!" it. And, and it's just like I can't do it. I I, I need. To I
1: loved. To I went. Jason Goes to Hell was my first Friday the Thirteenth in the theater, mm. and um, and I had a really good time with it. My friend hated it because like a lot of people complain it's not really Jason. He's sort of like sure. doing the hidden and Body the hidden, and i i was so excited to be there and my friend sat there with his arms crossed all the time but everybody (laughs) in the theater was like oh my god and it was actually i thought it was really fun but like for something like candyman or Hellraiser, i just saw hellraiser the the not the night it came out but i think that saturday night Mm -hmm. and my friend and i were the only two women in the theater we were 17. oh wow and it was all men and it was very quiet and it and i'd never seen anything like hellraiser before like it blew my (sighs) mind and um And I never forgot it, but like so, I had a really good audience for that. But I, but movies like that, like Candyman, you want a really good audience that keeps quiet because it's so scary, and you have somebody whispering behind you, it kind of takes away all of the tension, and you're getting irked. And so, what's the point? It's a little rough. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. but I go see movies when I can. Like I go see Insidious when it comes out, and Mm -hmm. all Mm -hmm. those kind of films. And I, I I don't know, they're fun. Um, But I think older movies, yeah, they're supposed to be like more of a crowd sort of. Thing happening mm-hmm. unless they're mocking the film, which case I get really mad.
3: Which but, yeah, I don't yeah. I'm not thrilled. But yet. as
1: long as they're enjoying, actually, I went to a screening. Um, I guess before the pandemic of Lost Boys, oh, and there was a girl sitting next to me. She was probably like twenty, and her boyfriend or date had was talking to her, and she'd never seen the film before. And uh-huh. she literally sat there so excited, and he was actually, like, his hands were in the air. And like, and she was, like, laughing at all the right parts, and she would put her hands over her mouth. And it was, like, and she really enjoyed it, and it was so much fun. It was at the Alamo, so nobody spoke.
3: But it was. Yeah, it, I have yeah. to say, it
1: was really fun sitting next to this really young person that's watching cool. this 80s horror film and just mm-hmm. getting really into it. It was so exciting for me, because that's one of my all-time favorite films. So, mm-hmm. um, anyway... Um, Dan, what is your final scary? And then I, I remembered one, so I got
3: one. Okay,
0: and I I have two very quick honorable mentions. that just you don't know, okay. you don't have to talk about them. I'll just. But the first one is um actually I'm gonna do three. They're all from final exam. I'm kidding. No, the um the uh the the my first one is from the original version of the eye.
1: Hmm. I don't know that I've seen it. it sounds like I should have, but I don't know if I have. <laughs> uh,
0: the eye is possibly my favorite horror film, mm. um, just because if, whenever anyone asks me, what's a good one that's scary and imaginative, I always say the eye, not the, I haven't seen the remake, the original one, the, the. I forget the brothers, it was two brothers who made it, um, but it has about half a dozen super scary scenes in it, but I'm just going to say, for those of you who have seen it, um, the calligraphy scene,
3: mm.
0: and, and, Um, you have to watch it. Don't watch it on your phone. Don't watch it with shitty sound. Put it on a nice side screen. Get stereo sound or surround sound going because part of the scare is the sound in it. But it's basically our leading lady who's a character who's just got new uh, corneas and is seeing for the first time I forget if it's ever or in years goes to a calligraphy class and something goes wrong and every I've only seen the film maybe five times. It's not on a Blu-ray for hell hev- I was going to say for hell's sake, for heaven's sake, um, maybe both. But whenever that scene comes up, it's about 40, 45 minutes into the film. I always sit there going, okay, Dan, you're about to scream. Here we go. i always turn up the volume as loud as I can. And my wife's like, turn it down. And I said, just give me a minute. <laughs> and then I go, ah, and she goes, are you okay? I'm okay. I'm okay but it's the calligraphy scene from the eye is the, is the scene that um, always like the, the other two always scare me too, but, but this is one that has scared me longer than the other two.
1: So what year is this film?
0: Oh my gosh. Um, Like
1: you give me a ballpark. 2005. Okay. I know. It's in the
0: two thousands. It's in the two thousands. It's, it's about, yeah, she gets a cornea and she, it's sort of like a, she can see dead people sort of thing, but it's, more interesting than that it's it's a it's a hong kong film so it's like like hong kong action films you know if you you, like someone describes a hong kong action film to you and then you go see you're like okay this is a hundred times better than their explanation so i'm not going to explain more but it's the I the ping brothers made it
1: yes i i am familiar with the movie um i have not seen it and I, i know the calligraphy scene like i haven't seen it but i've heard people talk about it it's, it's, I adore it. It's
2: pretty it's, famous, yeah. Nate, have you seen the eye? Um I have not. I've actually only seen the remake.
0: Oh, how was the remake?
2: I like the remake a lot. Yeah. Um, but I don't have the original to compare it to, so oh, okay. yeah. I'm about to watch the original.
0: It's 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 beautifully done. It's one of those um No, I, I won't it 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 structurally, I love the structure of the movie. And it's just—I think it's—that's one of the things. Is not only is it scary, not only does it have these great scenes, but it's emotionally resonant, and it has an interesting structure to it. And the final sequence is um, great. So the eye Perfect. calligraphy scene.
1: Okay, so before you do your honorable mentions, let me just do mine real quick. So, yeah. so I was lucky enough to catch uh, Jaws in 3D recently, Um, and because uh, they re-released it, and they did this beautiful job making it uh, three-dimensional. And some of it was like watching the film for the first time. And so there are two scenes in particular. Well, there's three scenes, but uh, the the Kittner death, you know, Alex Kittner's death, the little boy on the raft. I'd never seen it like that before and I'm never going to forget it. It was so terrifying. But the scene that I'm thinking of is when uh, Hooper is swimming underneath uh, Ben Gardner's boat and there's that hole in the boat and there's a shark tooth. And he goes to loosen the tooth oh, yeah. and then the Ben Gardner's head comes missing the eye kind of through, yes! the, yeah. through the hole in the boat, not through it, they just, you can see the head on the other side mm-hmm. and everybody in the theater jumped. <laughs> and I guarantee you, we'd all knew that scene was coming,
3: mm-hmm.
1: but it freaked me out. And um, yeah. I don't know, we've never talked about Jaws, but Nate, do you, are you a big fan of the film?
2: Oh, I love Jaws. I think it's amazing. (laughs) Like, I know some people think it kind of slows down in some scenes, but to me, it never does. Mm -hmm. Like, I love when they're all on the boat, even when they're just sitting around listening to, like, uh, you know, each other's stories. Yeah. Uh, I'm like, it's just, it's such a, a brilliant film. I don't necessarily find it super terrifying, but that's only because, though, I'm not very familiar with the ocean. I don't live near it. So I don't have. I mean, so I don't think I would find myself out in the out in the ocean. And hopefully, Jaws would look at me and be like, "Ugh, no, no." <laughs> I
3: my don't time. think he would.
1: He just ate. He ate He's whatever hungry. was around. He's... He never. Yeah, he never felt full. And um, and like in three D, Quint's death was like ridiculous. Like in some portions it was like seeing the movie for the first time and i've seen this movie a hundred times and i've seen it Uh several times in the theater because it comes out all the time in re-releases but nothing has ever captured me the way it does in 3d and it's interesting i think the word i've seen used that is the best way to describe it is that it's absolutely immersive Mm. and um and dan are you a big fan of jaws
0: i am i am i uh I uh, I actually I, I I quite enjoy all four of them. Yeah, I do too. Um, the the first the first one is is one that I is is one that I I think is absolutely a be- absolute beautiful piece of cinema. But then you know me, I'm a jerk. I begin to look at the others. Oh, Josh um, two
1: is like a slasher. It's perfect. Josh-
0: yeah, and and we we I mean we did the um Jay Shwar- Shark episode yeah, earlier this Shwar, year, didn't we? Yeah. I think, and Joe's three D has its charms, and Joe's the Revenge. If you can put aside the silliness of the basic plot, it ain't a bad shark attack. Oh, it's movie. a
1: good movie. It's a good movie. It was really great to see a middle aged woman as the final girl. Yes, and it actually yeah. deals with loss and grief. Like it actually has a lot of merit to it. And it was directed by a t- predominantly TV movie director, Joseph Sargent. Yeah, Joseph
0: Sargent. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, and that's yeah. probably why three is just a lot of fun, and two. Jaws is a perfect film, but Jaws 2 is like my Halloween 2. It's the one I watched the most because it's got yeah. the most shark attacks and it's got the teens on the water. Yes, I mean, it's just yes. so much fun. But yeah. um, that would be mine. And so let's just go through your honorable mentions real quick and then I'll we'll just, dive in.
0: Real, real quick, real quick. Um, the first one is, this is another Bob Clark film. Oh. Um, Murder by Decree.
1: Oh, you know, I've never uh, seen
0: that. And I, so I won't say much about it, but it is, I think it's when they, when Mary Kelly is being tortured and killed. Oh. Um it's I, I'm not going to tell you much about the scene, but you you you're basically sitting outside like a shop window in a cul-de-sac somewhere in the heart of London in the middle of the night in the fog. And you can hear sounds. You can hear like mechanical sounds. You can hear screaming. But at, but the but the, sh- the window you're looking at is a glass block. So you can only see shapes. So you can't. So the camera slowly pulls in as you hear this noise and you can't see what's happening. And it's like it's like it's because there is a photo. There is a crime scene photo you can see online of Mary Kelly's crime scene. You don't want to look it up. Please don't look it up. Um, but I happened to just because I was in after reading from hell, the Alan Moore, Jack the Ripper, mm-hmm. I, I got Jack the Ripper Jag and I saw it. And I was like, OK, I'm stopping. But um, but there there's a scene and you'll know when you see it, the camera slowly tracks in on a shop front where you can't see through the glass and someone is being tortured on the other side of the glass. And it's 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 her- One of one of the things that always scares me is when you distort the human shape. Mm -hmm. The human – I mean like one of the scariest um, uh, uh, trailers when I was a kid was Fright Night when Amanda Beers, um, who I love and Married with Children, when she turns and looks at the main guy and her mouth is like three times the size it should be.
1: Yes, that's what you're talking about. yeah, famous. That's
0: yeah. yeah, and it's scared that it's it's the the distort. It's like Grave Encounters One and Two does that, where the the faces, the shapes, they they get like all out of whack. And that actually ties in with my other honorable mention, which is the moment when the poor, um, hapless but determined uh, reporter from Rec, mm. R E C, sees the inhabitant of the top floor apartment at the end of Rec.
1: Yeah, you know, I haven't Ooh, seen that either. That's
0: a good choice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the moment she sees. You're like, okay, I'm done, I'm leaving, and and so that's. I was gonna make that my number three, but uh, Hell House I saw re- more recent. But but that's one of those two where when you see the sh- the body, the person who's moving, the shape is all wrong. Mm. The body is all out of place and stuff, and it's like. but that's those are my two honorable mentions both both of them could have been in the top three but um i flipped a coin this morning and they were number four and five
1: well that was a great list guys you both picked really cool films and movies i'm going to seek out that hell house movie sounds amazing and so all
0: all three of them are great one a week do do one a
1: week (laughs) i'm literally looking forward to because i don't watch enough newer stuff so that was great and i hope everybody enjoyed that i know that wasn't tv movie talk so we're going to dive in to curtis harrington so i said briefly i would tell you how we came here so a few months ago um dan nate and i were able to get together and do a commentary track for tarantulas the deadly cargo which is this great 70s monster attack movie and when i was assigning other tv movie monster or bug attack i guess uh movies um i i guess i gave you guys a different b movie than the killer b movie i watched and so you guys ended up watching Tear Out of the Sky or something, and I watched Killer Bees, and um, and I was so enamored with it. And uh, and I'd seen the cat creature, which I remembered enjoying, and, and I'd been wanting to rewatch it. So I thought, oh, next time we get together, we should do a Curtis Harrington episode. So that's how we ended up here. Um, and so... I'm really excited, and before we dive in, I will say I, ha- I haven't devised the contest yet, but I have an extra copy of Tarantulas on Blu-ray, and I think we'll probably be doing a contest in the near future for that, and I might have a t-shirt contest too, I haven't, I don't know yet. But um, so I've got some stuff I'd like to give away, I also have another Blu-ray I might give away too, so please stay tuned for that in our future episodes when I figure out how I want to configure all of that. Um, but let me tell you a little bit about Curtis Harrington, and then we'll dive into our first film. So Harrington was born in L.A. He lived, though, in a more rural part of California called Beaumont. He began making films as a teenager, and then he started making experimental shorts. Uh, and he, But his career was really wild. Um, he did some experimental filmmaking, but he also did uh, theatrical studio system movies. He did TV. He did a lot uh, in episodics, but he did do a couple of TV movies. Um, he actually began his career in Paris. So he went to Paris to get a film studies degree. Or, I'm sorry, he got his film studies degree from UCLA. Then he moved to France, and he wrote a book on Joseph von Sternberg. Um, And while he was there, he ended up falling into a really interesting community of filmmakers who included Kenneth Anger, James Whale, and Bill Condon. Um, And then eventually he would end up working for Roger Corman. Uh, But I think when people think of Curtis Harrington, if you have any knowledge of his films, there's a couple of movies you may think of, but I think one of the first that may come to mind is a movie he made called Tide, which was his first yes. feature-length film from 1961, starring Dennis Hopper as a man who may or may not be in love with a mermaid who kills people. Um, it's a beautiful film. It's, it's very low budget. Uh, it's very evocative. It's kind of nightmarish and dreamy, and it's really moving. Um, I really liked it. Uh, I think it has some Harrington-ness we might see in his other films. Um, particularly, uh, I might talk about it if I remember when we get to Cat Creature, this idea of um, gay subtext. And I might go into that. Um, but he also did a bunch of other movies. He did something called Queen of Blood in 1966. He did a movie called Games, which I just saw a few yes. months ago. I like games. Um, yeah. uh, is it Simone Signore? I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it right. I believe so, yeah.
0: That, yeah. I think that's right.
1: No. Catherine... Oh my God, I can't remember her name now. She starred in The Stepford Wives. And, um, and Ross, Catherine Catherine, Ross, Catherine Ross and James Caan. And it's kind of like, um, I don't know how to explain the movie, but it's very, it's very visually, it's it's amazing.
0: it, It reminds me of some, some, uh, Ingmar Bergman type films, like, uh, The Magician or Persona, where it's like playing with, um, the games and reality yeah. and things like that. It's, it's a of.
1: little bit of gaslighting in there, too. And, yes, uh,
3: true, true. Yeah, it's a yeah.
1: gaslighting film. And he did What's the Matter with Helen, which I know I haven't seen, but I did see Whoever Slew Auntie Rue. Um, and then he would go on to make The Killing Kind and Ruby uh, throughout the 70s. Yeah, and yeah. as I mentioned, he was friends with James Whale. And um, in the 90s, David Devell kind of, uh, he interviewed... Uh, Curtis Harrington about James Whale, but he wrote this about both of them, and I thought this might encapsulate his career uh, best. So DeVell wrote, quote, James Whale and Curtis Harrington were fortunate to have the horror genre to channel their unique self-expression. The finest of James Whale's work is unquestionably The Old Dark House and Bride of Frankenstein, while Harrington crystallized his talents with his first feature, Tide* and then matured with what is arguably his best feature, What's the Matter with Helen? Like Whale, Harrington's future work has withstood the test of time. When a filmmaker is as intensely personal as a Wells or a Von Sternberg, the dangers of working in Hollywood are obvious. For unlike Whale's time, the Hollywood of 1996 is littered with bloated budgets, rehashed sequels, and the worship of youthful directors with enormous clout." Um, So apparently uh curtis harrington was a little obsessed with edgar Allan poe he had some fascination with them so his last film was a short titled usher which is uh, an imaginative adaptation of edgar Allan Poe's follow the house of usher and i'm bringing this up because the first horror film he ever saw was the raven with boris karloff and bella lugosi and his oh, mother yes. told people that harrington was so scared that he hid under his seat But he ended up loving the genre, and in an interview with Filmmaker Magazine, he said, quote, I have a very macabre turn of mind, and there's no way that can be explained. It's just a leaning I've had since childhood, and I have it to this day, end quote. So, of course, Curtis sadly died in 2007. Um, What he left behind in terms of tv films is pretty interesting his first movie was how awful about alan in 1970 with anthony perkins then he did the cat creature killer bees he did a movie i haven't seen yet called the dead don't die i wanted to see that before oh we yes recorded oh yes
0: yeah. and of that course he on vhs didn't yes
1: it, it did yes, it does have a okay. home video release
0: anton differing or someone's yeah. in that he yeah. did
1: uh devil dog the hound from hell <laughs> which is probably his most famous um tv movie but for this podcast we're gonna concentrate on two movies he did back to back, and that is The Cat Creature and The Killer Bees. And we're gonna start with the Cat Creature, which came out first on December eleventh, nineteen seventy-three on ABC
0: I'm just gonna I'm just gonna read the Merrill. Um, okay. The description, of, just because we did all the all the horror chat, so we I want to dive right in. Okay. Folks, you, sh- you should have watched this. This is a, in this chiller, a Valentine of the Fondly Remembered Horror Bee Movie, the theft of an amulet from the mummy of an Egyptian bee sets off a reign of terror that involves an archaeology professor, a mysterious shopkeeper, a pretty salesgirl, and an oriental thief. Mm. Dun, so that's, yes, yeah, so that's that's all.
1: Okay, so I had seen The Cat Creature once before, probably about eight or nine years ago. I remembered really liking it. I really liked it on this viewing. I think it's got a lot of merit. It's got some great actors. Uh, It's got a lot of ambiance, and it's got a really neat kind of gay subtext with some of the characters. So it's kind of a layered film, and I was really surprised by a little bit of the content that made it onto TV in 1973, Um, and we'll probably talk about that. Uh, Dan, had you seen this before?
0: Yes I did when um when I first met you back in 1893. I yeah. think when did we first meet <laughs> 2014? I, I think it was 2014. Um and and you you asked me to review some some movies for your book. Um I really got into TV movies. That's when I got into TV movies like crazy. And um I was specifically watching ones that were 73 or 74 minutes because I love that. I've said that many times. My favorite length for a movie is around 72, 73 minutes, and Cat Creature was one of the first ones I watched, and I remember watching it and having such a great time, but I hadn't watched it again since I watched it um, uh, like a week ago or so, and it's still it's still a lot of fun. It is very much, um, having seen a, a lot, a many more 1930s, 1940s B-movies and things, it's very much in that
1: yeah vein
0: realm and it's um and it's I I think i think i think it's a lot of fun to watch um (laughs) it's well i'll I'll say more more about later but i I think it's nicely paced it's nicely put together um (laughs) the ending does have one of those things where throughout the history of cinema or tv i was actually going to mention there's an x-files episode called teso dos beaches or something like that from season three where there are killer cats mm. and it has the exact same problem at the end of this movie does where you know you can't train cats like dogs mm. and so a lot of times when cats attack people it's like the octopus attacking bella lugosi and bride of the monster yeah it's someone holding up a cat going oh my god oh my god and the cat is like what the hell it's what purring. the hell yeah, <laughs> it's
3: it's it's like
0: so 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 the the ending, the ending is, I would call the ending. Although this may be disingenuous, I would call the ending camp. Mm. But no, I'm not, not I'm not hundred, I'm not hundred percent sure of that. But the moment where Meredith uh, and I, I'm not gonna, I'm I, we're not gonna spoil it. But but I would call the uh, but but it's it's like it's um, it's wonderfully sharp throughout, and I I like the ending too. But at the very ending, I think they they teeter over into camp. But that ain't bad. I, no. I, I didn't suddenly go, ah, but I, I like it. And there's a lot of great actors and it's great to see. I, I've never said his name out loud. Is it Key Luke? K- K- I Key
1: think Luke? I always say Key Luke, but you're right. I've never tried to pronounce his name. Out loud. Key,
0: Key Luke. The great thing about Key Luke is that he was, as far as I know, the back in the late 30s, the first Asian actor to play a lead Asian detective. Hmm. During the time of Mr. Wong and Charlie Chan, he he played Mr. Wong Detective in the last of that series. He was the lead actor. And it's so refreshing after seeing, you know, the Charlie Chans and the, you know, Boris Karloffs and the
1: Peter There was Peter definitely Lawrence. an idea that Curtis Harrington knew that world really well because yes. of the way he cast the film it's with really David Chardine. Yeah. And there's another actor's name I'm totally forgetting now that opens the film in the house that oh, was oh, known yes, yes. for those I can look films. And, um, yeah. and so like he was, he was, he Kent had his, Smith. yeah, he knew what he was doing, you know, and, yes. um, and we can talk a little bit about the people who made the film when we get there, but, um, I just want to catch Nate's opinion. what do you think of the cat creature?
2: Um, this was a first time viewing for me, which I seem to rarely say on this show, Yeah. which yeah, I'm just kidding. I actually, I feel like almost every movie we watch <laughs> oh, is a the first wrong? time viewing for me. <laughs> yeah but i mean that's a good thing i like to be introduced to new things but uh this one um yeah i really enjoyed it um i loved uh, the character of hester um although i thought that there was something shady going on with her the whole time you know i was just like "Hmm, i don't know i'm like is she behind what's going on i don't know but um so I, i like i was very suspicious of her throughout the film. And I think what really got me was uh, in the beginning, because she's so nice to this, um, uh, you know, sales clerk that works with her. But the sales clerk is so like off putting towards her. She's just like, oh, you know, she's a super nice. Like she gives her stuff like and, 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 and she's just like, oh, God, I can't stand her. Is that what she acts like when she gets home? But anyway, yes. yeah, so I was like a little, like, what's going on there? She seems nice to me. Well, so I was like, well, maybe she's shady.
1: She's extra nice to the women in this yeah. film. And yes. it, there's probably a reason for that because it's alluded yes. to that she's gay. And there's this great scene in the movie. Well, first of all, I watched Night Tide this weekend. And Ugh. there's a, I don't know if, have you seen the movie, Nate?
2: I've not seen Night Tide, no.
1: I, I think you'd really like it. But there's this there's this character in the film that's this woman who wears all black and she's lanky and tall, just like um, Hester. And um, and she follows the potential mermaid, Mora around the beach. And, um, and I thought it was interesting that Harrington kind of recreated that uh, look and, and stuff. But in Night Tide, what stood out to me was the idea that there's a character in it, the one that's sort of the father figure to the girl that might be the mermaid. And he's talking about going to the bathhouse to get a pounding, but he means massage. Oh. <gasps> And, 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 but he's clearly, there's a, some, there's two meanings to that. And there's a scene in the cat creature, which I don't know if you guys remember, but there's two people talking to Hester. I think they're talking to Hester at the counter and one of them smoking. Oh yes. And, and one is clearly a woman and the other one looks like a man smoking and they both turn around and they're both women. And one's just really masculine. And I was really surprised by, like, the content of this film. And so, Sonder, Gail Sondergaard, I think, is the name of the actress who plays Hester. She is, yes. Yeah, she, yeah. Um, she's being extra nice to the young women who work for her for a number of reasons. And, um, and yeah. you know what I mean? And, and I like that aspect of it, you know? I, I thought it was really interesting to see something like that on TV in 1973, yeah. and I'd be curious to see what people, if people picked up on it as well as we did all these years later when, when there's so much of that on TV now that it, it's a little easier to spot. But yeah, so Hester was a really interesting character to me, but I didn't mean to cut you off. Was there other things you want to talk about?
2: Nate? Oh, oh. yes. Um, yeah. Uh, loved um, you know Meredith Baxter's character. Um, and uh usually i'm not a big fan of the police investigation angle in a movie but this one i think because it's such a short film
3: yeah
2: you know it's it's only like um you know it's less than 80 minutes long and so i mean it didn't feel drawn out or it didn't really drag or anything for me and personally uh, i have to say that uh i won't give away the ending but i will say the villain's look at the end i really liked
1: that's good i thought it was cool that's real cool i agree i <laughs> absolutely agree yeah this was a really neat movie um and i don't i think dan knows more about the movies from the 30s and 40s that this movie's kind of emulating um and maybe even parodying at the end uh than i do but yeah i liked that harrington now knowing that he knew james whale i mean it all kind of makes sense like where he was in this place in hollywood and and sort of paying tribute to um these films that he loved so much knowing too that he saw the raven and it terrified him when he was a kid, and um and so there's there's just a lot happening in this movie that's really fun. And I agree with you; it's eighty, it's seventy three minutes, right, or seventy four minutes.
0: So, it's just 74, yeah.
1: Yeah, it just it just moves by at a clip, and and it's and yet it crams in a lot of stuff because it, it has the police procedural, which I think is a lot of fun. Um, because I love Stuart Whitman, first of all, let's just put that out there. But
0: yes, he's he, <laughs> he's so good
1: in it, but um. But also it's got kind of a romance happening with David Hedison and Meredith Baxter. So it's got that aspect. It's got some pretty good like death scenes in it. So it's got all the kind of like scary stuff the kids like. And and it, it also has this mature stuff happening with like the sexuality stuff that it's kind of exploring underneath everything. And so, yeah, I found it to be a really fascinating film. And mm-hmm. um, and it, I'm not surprised that Harrington came from that background of experimental filmmaking.
0: Yeah, I one of the this is this was just a a weird thing is when I watched this uh, about three or four days ago, it was a Saturday. um, It was a Saturday afternoon and right before it, I've been the past two months, I've been watching a James Bond film every Saturday afternoon. And I happened to watch Live and Let Die, which came out in 1973. And Felix Leiter in Live and Let Die is David Hedison. That's right. Yes. And there's a sequence there's a tarot card sequence, a very important tarot card sequence in *Live and Let Die*. Oh. Now, and and so when I immediately sat down and watched this, and I saw David Hedison, I was said, "Felix, what are you doing? Fooling around with Meredith Baxter? She's clearly too young for you, but I don't want to judge if if everyone's okay." Um, but then they have a tarot card sequence too.
1: That's right.
0: And I was like, oh, that's kind of weird. It was the year of uh, David Hedison and tarot card sequences.
1: And that's interesting. I forgot about that because there's also a tarot card sequence in Night Tide.
0: Oh, I haven't seen Night Tide in, um, it came, if it came out on DVD, then I saw it. And I think it was like 20 years ago. Yeah. (laughs) I saw everything 20 years ago.
1: Yeah. It's, it's had this cult reputation for a long, long Mm -hmm. time. I finally saw it for the first time this weekend and I was floored by how amazing it was. It's such a beautiful film. But now I'm seeing all these connections between those films and it's kind of interesting. So he's even paying, uh, I hate to use homage, but he's sort of paying tribute Uh to himself in a way with Uh Nightcruge. Because he's also got this kind of interesting uh, character, Meredith Baxter. Uh Um, So in Nighttide, you know, is she or is she not a mermaid is the question, Uh right? And and, um, and it leads you a couple of different ways before the reveal and I won't spoil that film. But... uh, in this movie, I guess we kind of figure out she's a part of it closer towards the end, mm-hmm. and then. But there is this question: Is she or is she not the cat creature? Right yes. through the whole film, and then, and then, sort of in the last act, everything gets revealed, and we, yeah. we'll probably talk about that at some point.
0: Because um, well, there there is that 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 moment where uh, David Hedison's character is talking to—I forget his, his name—but he's talking to her, and he's asking her questions, and he discovers the more he talks to her, the more it it seems that she has no family ties.
1: That's right. Oh ha ha ha! See, I was taking you a piece of there. Yay! Yay. So oh, I feel like
2: I'm on. I feel like I'm on the hysteria continues.
1: <laughs> it's my joke of the week. Although that's a pretty good joke. That might be better than some of Eric's jokes. Don't tell yeah,
0: him. Awesome. I won't tell him. <laughs> uh, but that was. Uh, but 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 it's actually true. In this, she she doesn't have family ties because I won't say.
1: And I heard she loves Bernie too.
0: She does, but that's going to be a year or two, but they'll have some trouble with network executives. Yeah, yeah.
1: So, yeah, but I mean, it it is... uh, I love Meredith Baxter. This was a pretty early role for her. So, at the time, she had actually just done Bridget Loves Bernie, which was what we were... Oh, was it? Plus, she married David Bernie, um, which made it even cooler. But, like, so she had done the show, and the show got canceled. And then she started doing a number of guest spots on television and started doing TV movies. Now, her career in the world of TV movies wouldn't really hit till the 90s in terms of, like, becoming a queen of the TV movie. Maybe in the 80s, -hmm. but... um, but this was like her, I think this was her first primetime TV movie. Her oh. first TV movie, speaking of games by Curtis Harrington, um, oh, yeah. is, I'm bringing this up because um, Gene Kearney wrote games and he also mm. wrote uh, Invasion of Carol Enders, which was the wide world oh, mystery wow. that Meredith yeah. Baxter starred in right before she did this. So she actually did one TV movie, but it aired on in Late at Night. It didn't have a primetime
0: Was that a shot on video you Shot on
1: video. Okay, um, I
0: remember that showing up on, like, thriller video VHSs yeah, or something. The something Invasion like of Carol Anders.
1: It's really good. It's, it's really good. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm in fact, I think it's better than games in terms of the kind oh. of – Oh. Uh, maybe it's not – yeah, I think it's better than games. I'm getting all my gaslighting <laughs> confused here, though. Because right? I, I watched him You're – You're
0: movie. not getting your gaslighting confused. You're Gene, doing it just great.
1: Yeah, Gene Kearney – I'm gaslighting everybody by doing confusing everybody. Gene Kearney <laughs> wrote some night galleries, and I did some of the commentaries for night gallery that he did. And so I was watching all of his films, and there's some gaslighting in his episodes of night gallery. That's what's happening. That's why I'm getting them confused. But he also did the invasion of Carollanders, um, and uh, at which starred Meredith Baxter, and which she's quite good in, and um, and she really enjoyed kind of like traversing the landscape of television and doing all these different roles and we'll talk a little bit about that later. But she's really she's so beautiful, even though I'm pretty sure that's a yeah. wig.
0: I probably yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. a little
1: big. Um mm-hmm. and I'm not I sure. even
0: like kind of the fact that her front teeth are kind of larger than I remember them being. Yeah, they
1: even, yeah, yeah, even that was like, like that. Yeah, yeah, she's yeah. cute, you know, she's really I mean,
0: cute. I'm, I'm there for it, you know? <laughs> I, mean, I mean it's a wit it you know, if I were Mr Bernie, you know, I'd say, Hey, what up? you
1: know i'm sure he'd be happy to hear that bridget
0: bridget loves Budnick.
1: that That would be the sequel
0: (laughs) in in a parallel world on earth four bridget loves (laughs) bud
1: but um anyway just to get back to the film dan sorry Um, yeah so so anyway harrington aside from david hedison Stuart whitman and um and meredith baxter he really does filter uh, the film with a lot of these really well-known actors from classic horror cinema. And I actually almost forgot David Carradine was in it until we started talking about that. Cause he's in, he just pops up and stuff and then disappears. That's his job.
0: Oh, John okay. Carradine.
1: John Carradine. I'm sorry. Not yes. David Carradine. Wow. How long have it been since I've been podcasting <laughs> a long time? Um, yes. John Carradine. And he just sort of like comes in and then is gone, you know? and doesn't really have a through as far as I can remember now with the film. But, um, no, no, but he, that's why his job is to show up and be cool and then disappear. And so, yeah, so it's got all these great B movie kind of things happening in it. And, um, and I don't know what else to say about that. I thought it was great. Uh, (laughs) so I, I
0: I was, I was going to say Gail Sondergaard. I forgot that she was the spider woman.
1: Yes. Which which that. was
0: which I, I think that's that's kind of where I know her the best where she 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 um went up against um sherlock Holmes, Dr. Watson and she also um hung out with a brute man in a movie so that's kind of um that's that's well that's cool uh, that that's some of those 30s 40s stuff that
3: that's yeah. kind of
1: I know. know her as a later character actress like we see her here she was in an episode of uh night Gallery called the Dark Boy. And, um, and she plays just kind of a spinster in that and and in this movie, I was kind of floored by her look
3: mm-hmm.
1: and we can talk about that because Gloria Swanson also embodies this kind of aesthetic, oh, that true, yeah. Harrington yeah. uses except she's much smaller than Sondergaard. I think Sondergaard looked really tall, Gloria Swanson's like five foot, but um, yeah, so like so like there's all these great character actors it's it's uh really well paced um I really like the interplay between David Hedison and Stuart Whitman. you know like he's the cop and he's he's kind of open to stuff but they need the archaeologist to come in and he's willing to like to like go there and and Mm -hmm. it made me think of like uh i'm obsessed with this now why didn't i get a degree in demonology
0: yes you know i i wanted a cryptozoology degree (laughs) for about 20 years (laughs)
3: Why didn't
0: that, we do it? it, it it's, well, I, I'm watching. I have it playing here right now. And the scene where they go to um, talk to uh, um, uh, Gail Sondergaard's character and, and uh, Meredith Baxter drops the cat statue. Oh, yeah. It's, it's really nicely shot because you kind of get a close-up of Gail Sondergaard. You get a, a four-shot of all of them. But then whenever you see the two guys, they're kind of a nicely They're – they're not – on top of one each one another but Stuart Whitman's in the front David Hedison's behind him and they're all nicely in focus so it's like it's um the uh, the the mise-en-scene as it were is a little is a little is a little sharper than in in some things of this sort although I will say every time they go out the back door of the store it's clearly the back door of a soundstage on a, a studio somewhere so every time they go out, I think, okay, that's Warner Brothers? Where and is that? I recognize that. Yeah, you that's know
1: not a... that reminds me of is... So at the beginning, it opens with that girl that uh, Hester's being really forget nice to.
3: Yes. I and, yeah.
1: and she's like, Hester, ooh, what a great case. Well, I don't know, briefcase. Can I have that? And whatever. And so, or she, she offers it to her. So She's she got takes, a lot of hippie talk. Yeah, she so too. she takes the briefcase home. And she picks up a cat along the way, This this beautiful cat. And then the cat like hypnotizes her to fall to her death right and and then it somehow opens the case and whatever it needs isn't there i don't think and so it's later we're talking about backlots this is what made me think of it there's a cop that's supposed to be watching
0: oh yes he's he's definitely on the backlog
1: (laughs) antique you know store and he's and the cat makes him fall asleep so then when hester goes in she ends up getting killed or whatever and so it's like it's like okay wait the cat can make you go to sleep. Why did it have to kill the yes. first girl? Like I don't yes. understand why it decided to kill her and yeah. let the cop live. That doesn't seem fair to me.
0: Yeah, I, I guess. I guess it did it have to get Meredith Baxter in. Oh, I don't know. I don't. Um, I, I guess if the, the cat seems pretty omnipresent, so yeah. I don't know. I, those black cats—they're crazy, aren't they're they? They're
1: crazy. They're not thinking through. They're no, not
0: thinking through. I had, I had um, my uh, the cat that was my friend for 18 years, Lobo the cat. She was a black cat. She was a sweetheart, um, named after Lobo from um, Bride of the Monster, and she was a sweetheart. And she never did anything to um make me want to jump off my roof. She was yeah. very nice in that. Well, she, she was, a was doll.
1: meticulously planning it. It's just <laughs> she never got plenty... around to it. I, you're you're I right though. The cat's life. You're right, though, because for her, Meredith Baxter couldn't have gotten the job there if she was still alive, right? So that actually makes sense to me now that I think about it. Yeah, I, so thank you for talking this through with me. because I was Oh, there. yes.
0: And, and, and may I bring up my favorite guy in the movie? Yes. The cor- the coroner. Oh, he's know, great. He, he reminds me, there was a guy back in the 40s or 30s called, he was in... I, I want to say his first name was Skeleton, but I didn't write down. But he's he was a guy. He he showed up in Dick Tracy versus Cueball, and he's in a bunch of other movies. And he's this creepy as maybe this is him. I, I got to look now. But it was this. He was this. Cre- and whenever I see him, I think, oh, it's that guy. And and then I think, Dan, look him up before you record the podcast. Oh, shit, I didn't. So, but <laughs> but that corner is so great because he's he's got this he's got this sort of eternal coroner look but there was also this actor that looked exactly like this guy
1: from yeah, the 30s or 40s. It's a really it, this movie is full of atmosphere. You know, it's got these really mm-hmm. great characters and his, so he he had this really sallow sunken in face and it didn't have like a british accent and he was very yes droll and serious and
0: the one the one thing he didn't do was like eat a sandwich which is modern day i wait for that yeah
1: yeah yeah, Yeah. i always wait for that but that that makes me think of um just the the film itself it's like it's la but it's like la if la was like in london because it's very cloudy (laughs) and kind of urban looking and it yeah. looks different than how I remember LA, you know what I mean? Like they shot it in these kind of like, like you're like, you're saying the backlots are, are great because they have this kind of grayish quality to mm-hmm. the buildings. Mm-hmm. And it seemed like it was cloudy out. And so it had a really nice kind of drizzly, um, old dark housey kind of feel to it that I really mm-hmm. liked.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's, it's nice because it does have that no matter where you sort of go, in the movie, it kind of has a bit of that over overcast, so, like you said, old dark house and James Whale kind kind of kind of, yeah. kind of um, feel to it. And then and then you get those those little random scenes that you don't expect, like the scene where all the cats are leaping over the wall. Oh yeah. I don't know how they did that. I don't want to know how they did that. But there was just something about like when Meredith Baxter is facing us, and you just see like dozens of cats fly over this wall. That's right. Like, that it's it's so. It's overwhelmingly good, but it's also like, I don't want to know. Don't tell me how the cats, don't tell yeah, me how I I didn't. I don't, it's, it's so good.
1: It's the seventies and I don't want to hear about it. <laughs> exactly. It's just, it's exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. There's this, he, he, he puts a lot of effort into this film, you know, to kind of make it like kind of stylized mm-hmm. and sort of his own. And I'm not saying that other TV movie directors don't do that, but a lot of them don't. And, um, you know, like they make good films, but like, I feel like now the more that we're talking about it, the more I'm seeing Harrington's signatures.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: You know that we were seeing in his other films as well, and and that's fascinating to me.
0: He he's he's really he's really good at lining up the characters and getting them in space, like the um, uh, uh like when uh they go to the hotel and Key Luke is dead in uh-huh. the um in the bed, and you get the shot where John Carradine. The little lady whose name I forget, who sits on the um, on the oh, uh, I love the her. Count, I love her so much. Um, uh, and and like another guy, I don't even know who this guy is. Like they're all looking in, and the and the framing for a TV movie is is pretty gorgeous. It's it's like that's really nice, you know. And it's it's and he 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 does that if you um, if you're watching a scene and you're thinking I'm not fully caught up in this movie, look at the way he frames stuff. Look at the background. Look at the look at the setup of everything. He's generally something is happening.
1: Yeah, uh, and, and most of them. every I'm glad you mentioned the little person that plays the woman sitting I'm on the. Sorry, I
0: don't know her name. I, don't, I
1: don't either. Know. She's sitting on the countertop at the hotel, and Gosh, yeah. and what I like is that he does like as much as he's kind of developing the three main people and Hester. You know, kind of going about their day to day and trying to figure out what's happening. He pays equal attention to the characters that come in and out of their lives, yes. to to give them kind of. You almost feel like each one had a very concrete backstory when they came yes. on to play the part. Yes. And so, and so, it's it's got like it's certainly not a realistic film, but I think that it helps to anchor the craziness of it to have these <laughs> characters that they. It feels like a universe that exists somewhere.
3: Yes,
0: yes, and I think I think. If, if um and and if if the movie were made in that universe David Hedison and Stuart Whitman would be the squares yeah. and everyone else would be the just the the regular people doing their things like like I said like when you see John Kerry and the lady sitting there and she's and she says to them like hey big guy you want and I was like yeah I'm interested how are you what's going <laughs> on hey, how are you oh, yeah I love and it's her. like she's great. it's it's a yeah it's, it's just this this it, it's funny I've, I've said this before with TV movies but uh, the thing I love about TV movies uh, that I didn't expect when I got into them is that there are ones like this that you kind of want to – I don't want to get killed by a cat, and I don't think I would. Um, but you kind of want to hang out there for a while.
3: Absolutely. You kind of want
0: be, be in this space. It's like I recognize the space they're in, but it's slightly askew. I mean, I think – I don't know for certain, but the, the house that uh, Kent Smith pulls into in the opening – Mm-hmm. Like the big mansion, that looks like the house from Appointment in Fear. Oh, that that looks like. Now I haven't seen Appointment in Fear in a while, and it's not like anyone's caring to put out Appointment in Fear on DVD or Blu-ray or anything. But I I have seen that film four or five times, and when he's pulling up into the mansion, and it has kind of like the 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 curvy driveway with the white walls, and I was like, is that the Appointment in Fear mansion? It could be. Um, but and I hope it is. I,
1: I love hope that is, girl's apartment. Uh, the first victim. Yeah, well, the second victim again. House. Yeah, that house oh, is. I think I've beautiful. seen that.
0: I, yeah, it's it's a gorgeous and it's like it's like a almost a, a baroque kind of house. Like it almost looks like a puzzle house. Like like if someone were to you know flick a switch, like each of the floors would move, you know, like in one dur- yeah. one direction, the other direction, and suddenly everything would be in a different place.
1: Yeah, it's just such a beautiful location work and, mm-hmm. um, and really capturing like L.A. in a, like the seedy underbelly of it in yes. like, this really cool way. Yeah, there's just so much to love about this movie.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: But now all I keep thinking about is uh, the cat killing the girl. And now <laughs> it makes sense to me and I feel stupid for even bringing it up oh we're it gonna all...
0: that's why that's why i got in charge of the edit button i'm kidding folks we're gonna <laughs> and we're gonna leave that in i've said enough stupid stuff on this podcast that we'll leave that with it.
1: no but it all makes sense the whole movie makes sense now <laughs> it all works for me but yeah there's there's just a lot of terrific like little things that are in it that that help it create its own universe and it's it's a really great i don't want to call it a monster movie and and it's is it an animal attack i guess it is movie
0: yes i think because they always say that the, the 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 people are killed by like cat claws and things so i i would say it i don't even know i don't even th- i don't i don't know it. i don't think it cares
1: yeah it probably doesn't because it does have a monster in it
0: yes i mean i think when you got what robert Blo- block yeah i've never said his name yeah neither i just say block <laughs> robert block writing it curtis harrington directing it you're um I, I think you're in a you're. It's like Bride of Frankenstein, you know, like when Bride of Frankenstein came out. I don't think anyone expected that. Yeah. <laughs> but the sequel. To, I mean, yeah. when you watch that and you're like, the guy's got the little little people dancing and test tubes. Yes,
1: right. All oh, this, it's so stuff. good. Yeah.
3: And,
0: and, you, and you you, they and and it starts off with Mary Shelley saying, "I'm going to tell you a tale," you know, and it's Elsa Lanchester. You don't. I, I think this is one of those movies where you don't. I, I think people watching it on the day, you know, who are maybe like, you know, I'm going to. I don't know, what were they watching at that time? If they, I guess we're not watching All in the Family or Sanford and Son tonight. We're watching Cat Creature. But I, I just, um, I, th- I think it's one of those movies that can, if you, if you can forgive the fact that it does look very 1973, I uh, think you that's can. That's the best I think part. You, I, yeah, tr- true. Um, I, I, but I think you can enjoy it forever. Forever. That's your movies. quote. They're going to
1: put that on the top of the video box when it comes
0: out. Right? <laughs> yeah. I, 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 <laughs> <laughs> I I think I mean the and, and, and Stuart Whitman of course in a in about two or three three or four years after this, he's in one of my all time favorite Italian it's not a Giallo and it's not whatever the cop show movies are. The Polizio uh, yeah, police,
1: police, I can't police, even I'm not gonna try to say it. Yes. Police something.
0: Yes, blazing magnum. Hmm. Shadows in an Empty Room, the woman, Tisa oh, Farrow, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mark Landau. He's in that one, and he's the exact same character. He just goes into every scene, whether it's with um, you know, a group of students, with a bunch of professors, with a bunch of cross-dressers. He beats them all up and yells at them.
1: That's what you and do that's... when you're Stuart Whitman. <laughs> Stuart Whitman, and so, he's, he, he kind of does that here, which is fun. So I'm going to want to get into the background So 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 we can have Nate for the second film. But do we... Want to say anything about the ending, or do we just want to leave it hanging?
0: Let's leave it hanging.
1: Okay. Okay. So uh, let me just tell you a little bit about the film then, real quickly. Um, so Dan mentioned we're, t- we're tuning out of All in the Family, but uh, let me tell you what it actually <laughs> ran against. You're, you're close. You're in the time frame. But it ran against on CBS uh, Hawaii 5 oh. and an airing of Shaft, which that's difficult <laughs> to pass up. And on NBC, it ran against two short-lived series, Chase, which I think starred Peter Graves, but I'm not positive, and The Magician, which, of course, starred uh, Bill Gatesby, which was a great oh, show. One
0: of my favorites, yeah. yeah. Um,
1: So now, this movie aired the same season as Killer Bees. It did not do as well in the ratings. It got a 16.8 27 coming in at number 102 for the season out of 237 TV movies. So it's in the top half, which is good um but not as good as the other film we'll talk about that but like i mentioned you know meredith baxter was just start starting to dive into character roles and guest spots and she said about the cat creature that she took the movie basically because she'd been married to david Burney. and they actually had two kids which she brought with her into her marriage with david Burney. so she would have been married prior to that i think and um and they had these kids that they were trying to take care of while they were both pursuing acting careers and they needed some help around the house. And so the cat creature kind of paid for that, she said, um, in interviews. And she said, quote, also, she said this about the role, quote, the cat creature let me play everything from a mummy to a cat, to a girl in a terrible red rig, to a pile of dust. And how often do you get a crack at parts like that? End quote. Um, she then went on the next year to start in a movie uh, with her mother titled Stranger With My Face. Um, So at the time that they were making that movie, its original title was My Father's Smile, which I didn't know. And that's a pretty good TV movie. You can find it usually on Amazon Prime. Um, And Gail Sondergaard, so what I have to tell you about Gail Sondergaard is that she actually won the very first Best Supporting Actress Academy Award ever in 1936 for a movie she made called Anthony Adverse. So this is important. Oh, wow. Yeah. So this is important. She was known for playing a villainess, um, which is probably why she was cast as Hester. But a really neat thing happened uh, while she was making the Cat Creature. So Sondergaard was still doing television at this point, and she was mostly in retirement. She would come out and do little roles like this. And she got called one day to come and do some shots on the Cat Creature, like pickup shots or something like that. And she showed up to the studio, and she walked into wherever they were filming it, and. She was greeted by the press, Meredith Baxter, David Hedison, and Charlton Heston. And so when they originally gave out Academy Awards, they didn't have an award like we know them now, like the statue. They had plaques. And she never had gotten a physical statue. And Charlton Heston gave her the statue on the set of the cat creature with the press there taking photos and stuff. And I just thought that that was so cool that, like, they were there, Meredith yeah. Baxter, some 25-year-old actress, wow. you know what I mean? <laughs> Hanging out with Gail Sondergaard and, like, watching her get her actual statue, which is such a neat story. So, and I'm sure Curtis Harrington was just tickled about that. Um, David Hedison at the time was probably best known for starring in Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea and, of course, The Fly. Um, he, I didn't realize this. His wife, who I think her name was Bridget um, Hedison, she worked on television as well. She worked on The Colbys. And she worked on Dynasty and their daughter, interestingly enough, uh, who looks a lot like David Hedison, is a photographer. But I was shocked to see that she is married to Jodie Foster. So like that was just so cool. So I looked her up and um, and she looks a lot like her dad. And it was really cool to see that uh, she seems very happy um Hedison as you mentioned worked into live and let die and of course he reprised the role of Felix Leiter in 1989's License to Kill which involves a shark attack if you remember his scene in that um and that's why I brought that up because it's shark related and I loved it um he was really only in a handful of tv movies but he also appeared in romance theaters The Awakening of Cassie with PJ Souls um and so that makes him the coolest person on the planet Uh, Stuart Whitman I wanted to mention Stuart Whitman was actually interested in the occult and the supernatural. And at the time that he was making The Cat Creature, he was actually writing a script that never got produced titled Russian Hill, which he said was about the occult. Um, He said he would personally experienced ESP um, and that he believed in all that stuff. So he done, we covered this on the podcast. I don't think Nate was with us, but do you remember, Dan, we did that movie Revenge?
3: With oh, him, yeah. Shelley
1: Winters and Bradford Dillman, mm-hmm. and and he did some supernatural stuff in this era. He did a ghost story. He did some night galleries, and so I think he was really drawn to that stuff. So having him in this film just kind of fits because he was really open to all that. Um, but the story, interestingly enough, was by Douglas S. Kramer, who was also a producer. And that name might sound familiar to you because mm-hmm. he did a lot of stuff with Aaron Spelling, um, oh, including uh, creating Love Boat, Fantasy Island, T.J. Hooker, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, He also produced over 20 Daniel Steele adaptations. Um, His stepfather actually was an executive at Paramount. And at the age of six, Kramer had a subscription to The Hollywood Reporter. So he was very interested in film and television from a very young age. He also created uh, Peyton Place, or he developed it from the film. Um, he, uh, He ended up working on Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, which of course starred David Hedison. And he produced Bridget Loves Bernie, which of course starred Meredith Baxter. So you can see where he's getting his cast from. Um, Lucy Arnaz, uh, worked with Douglas S. Kramer on the TV movie. *Who Is the black Dahlia, which is an excellent film. Um, and Arnaz called him quote, a conscientious and classy producer who gave some of the most warm and elegant parties in Hollywood. He was the consummate host end quote. Um, interestingly enough, Douglas S. Kramer co-founded the Los Angeles museum of contemporary art. So if you've ever gone to LACMA, just remember that that was partially founded by the guy who created Love Boat. Um, and of course he worked really heavily in the TV movie, and we will talk about that here in a minute. Um, and Robert Block, of course, as Dan mentioned, did, uh, the teleplay uh so he like Harrington uh was really into movies when he was a kid and that grew kind of a fascination for the genre and everybody remembers him of course for writing the novel for Psycho but he did work on television he did Night Gallery he worked on Dark Room, which is a great anthology series from the 80s Tales from the Dark Side he did Monsters he wrote The Dead Don't Die of course which Harrington also directed but Kramer also worked with somebody named Wilford Lloyd Baums, who um doesn't have a large filmography but he worked on a lot of these things that we've been talking about but between him and Kramer they made a gazillion tv movies including Dawn Portrait of a Teenage Runaway, Who's the Black Dahlia, Search for the Gods, Cage Without a Key, Dr. Cook's Garden, and A Death Among Friends which is excellent by the way that's kind of a female Columbo riff I think it was a pilot film and he also worked on Love Boat. Um, the reviews of the of the movie were that the story was good But it was Harrington's use of the character actors that made the film worthwhile. That's what John O'Connor of the New York Times said. Kevin Thomas of the LA Times said much the same thing. He thought the film was, quote, so much fun. Um, So I think I had some... um, Okay. Yeah. So October 13th, 1973 was when newspapers started writing about the production of the cat creature. So that means it was produced in early October and aired in December, which means it had a two month turnaround, which is pretty common for these TV movies. Um, we talked about Craven farm. I think that had a two month turnaround as did monsters and mazes. Um, and I think that that is my background. And, uh, do you guys have anything you want to add? I don't think so. Nate,
0: I like cats. So do I.
1: (laughs) I do, too. I love cats. So anything with cats, I will watch. But I think you're right, Dan, just real quick. It's really hard to make cats scary, and people periodically try to do it. And it never quite gets there. (laughs) I think there's a pretty scary cat in Strays, but it's a cute Mm -hmm. film is what it ends up being. They're just cute, and they can't help it.
0: Even like, say, Night of a Thousand Cats, when yeah. the guy has like a cellar full of cats that he feeds people to. Even that's like, maybe not. Or the Uncanny, is yeah. that the cat anthology? Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, and there's also, of course, The Uninvited. Oh, yeah. Is that Burt I. Gordon? I can't remember who made that. No, oh. no, it's not Burt I. Gordon. Who is Who did The Uninvited?
0: The oh. Ghost Movie? No, the, the cat
1: movie with Alex Cord and George Kennedy and Clue Gulager about the boat with the mutant cat that lives. Oh, that's the un- it
0: is the Uninvited, isn't it? Yeah, it's with, by uh, the guy who did. Joysticks. It's um, uh, Graydon Clark.
1: Graydon Clark, that's right. Yeah. Yes, with
0: the cat with the demon. <laughs>
1: yeah, that's a pretty good one. That's a pretty good one. Yeah, that's a fun um, one. But let's dive into Killer Bees because um, I I love this movie and I have a couple of things I want to say about it.
0: Just gonna say really quick. This is about a um, uh, a, a guy named Edward Vaughn. I've got his name here, Bolin. Yeah. Who brings his fiance, who also is having his child named Victoria Wells, back to his big fa- family's biggest big family's estate. Family's big estate. They're uh, into wine, and um, while there, everyone there is male except for the leading uh, the the madam who's played by uh, Gloria Swanson, who is kind of the matriarch over all of them. And um, the movie is basically... uh, You you can't really say much about it without giving too much away, but basically, um, uh, Madame rules over the guys. She's rather wary of Victoria, and Madame also controls lots of bees. And the bees seem to protect her and the family. And I don't want to go too much more into that because it's – it's you learn more and more about the family as you go and you learn that the bees are an integral part of everything they've done and that Madame seems to kind of control them and maybe Victoria is – I'm going to stop there,
3: actually, because okay. I'm going to give
0: things away. Yeah, there's there's not much you can – plot-wise, this is a tricky one. But that's it's just basically Guy goes back to see his family, very sort of Edgar Allan poe kind of goes back to see his family and the estate and brings his gal, and there are bees and an old lady.
1: I'll stop there. <laughs> that was the original – yeah, back of the box, right? There's <laughs> yes. a bees and an old lady. Yeah. It's, it, it's scary. Yeah, so – um <laughs> I, my first, I, I'm ashamed to admit it, my first viewing of this movie was just a few months ago when we were doing the tarantulas commentary. Mm, uh-huh. Because I was trying to watch all the Animal Amok, Killer Bee, Killer Bug films that are available. And there's a lot of them um, that are made for television in this era. And I sat down to watch this, and I was expecting to enjoy it because of the cast. But I was blown away by the how amazing this film is and how, it I don't think it's had a home video release Um, and that's criminal to me because for me, this is, and I'll talk about it later because I want to hear your opinions. This is a perfect genre telefilm as far as I'm concerned. And it's okay if you guys didn't love it as much as me, but from what I do in my lectures and talking about what comprises these kind of films, this film is perfection, perfection. There's not one thing wrong with the film. It gets it all right. Um, and I'm blown away by it. Uh, but Dan, had you seen this before?
0: No, I hadn't because I misread the list you sent me. Yeah, and I watched <laughs> no, savage I sent you the Bee. wrong I, title. Okay, because I remember when we were doing the Tarantulas commentary, you said, "Oh, have you? You saw Killer Bees?" and I said, "Yeah, I have." And then I paused and said, "No, I saw Savage Bees." That's the one. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so, um, and I, I really enjoyed. I I will say the one thing that keeps it from perfection for me is that I honestly think if this had been like what's that one we love with the mud monster
1: oh the world beyond
0: yes which is like a 50 minute one I think if this Mm. had been like 50 minutes it would have been perfection for me I just think it's a little bit I just think there there hits a point where I thought okay I get where we're going now go there and then it just goes on a scene or two too long Mm. I don't I don't dislike it though I've seen plenty of things that have extra scenes and, and stuff like that but i just that was my only thing with it i really enjoyed it but i thought if it were maybe 15 minutes shorter i would this would probably be one of my favorite things but as it is i really enjoy it. glory swanson is nuts oh. kate jackson is adorable and eerie edward albert every time i look at him i i see you know eddie and I, I I've seen pictures of his mom, so I see the two of them together every time. I can't stop seeing the two of them t- <laughs> yeah. together. And and um I th- I think it's a really I, I I think part of it is like at a time when um uh uh the disaster films and things were building because this is still relatively early in this yeah. time um to do a such a intimate version of yes. it yes is is i thought when you when you get to the end and you're like oh i get it then you go watch it again you're like oh okay i see what they're doing and it it becomes even better so i think it's um i i quite like it i don't know if i like as much as cat creature but i quite like
1: it cool okay nate had you seen this before
2: no like dan i watched savage bees (laughs) yeah
1: Which um, I didn't watch. I, I gave you, Which I love. I, <laughs> I sent really you the right savage title, <laughs> but then I went ahead and watched this one. Uh,
2: but I know, Savage Bees was great. But um, Killer Bees, yeah, it wasn't what I was expecting. I was expecting, you know, basically a Killer Bees-type film as far as, you know, like Savage Bees or like Ants.
3: Right.
2: Um, where it's just people being like, um, I guess, kind of picked off by these bees Um, but then as soon as I met Gloria Swanson's character, I'm like, oh man, this is going to be something totally different from what I'm expecting. Um, she is just, um, you know, she is amazing in every scene that she's in. Um, she just has this huge presence, uh, you know, and, and, and like, she definitely, you know, takes on the matriarch role of her family And I loved Kate Jackson in this because uh, her character, Victoria, I like the scenes between uh, her and Madame uh, because I felt like Victoria was trying to understand her, but Victoria wasn't like a pushover. No. Yeah. She wasn't at all. Like she stood up for what she believed in. She said what she thought, even if it was disagreeing with uh, Madame. And I thought that was uh, pretty awesome that, you know, she, didn't um you know just go along with everything happening or anything that the family said she didn't just go along with it I guess to be nice like she had her own voice and and I love that and uh I don't want to give away the ending but I will say this she was amazing in that she was she was so good
1: yes she was I loved her She's so good. So, Kate Jackson, you know, I've always loved her. But I've, I've, you know, my my experience with her is mostly Charlie's Angels and maybe Satan's School for Girls and some later TV movies. But here, she just shines. Like, you can see that thing inside her that, that makes her such a great actress. It's just right there for the world to see for, like, a really good early glimpse. Because I think Charlie's Angels was still a year or two away from this. She was on The Rookies. But, like, you know, she was really, like standing her ground in this film and like kind of making a name for herself, I think is an actress and, and she's a powerhouse in it. And it's really interesting because she's a powerhouse in the exact opposite way that Gloria Swanson's a powerhouse because Gloria Swanson is like chewing the scenery in a great way. She's, you know, she's, she's being meticulous about the part, but like also there's like, there's like a big thing about it is she's larger than life, even though she's the tiniest person in the film. Whereas uh, Kate Jackson is kind of bringing it down and making it, her sort of presence really subtle, but it's clearly felt and strong. And so these two together, like you were saying, their scenes together are amazing. And and one thing that I think Kevin Thomas of the LA Times said was that the men in the film were fine, but this movie's about the women. And and I was nodding my head while I was reading it because, so for me the things I talk about when I talk about like these early TV movies are like the things that they did. And one thing is and I've mentioned this before and so I'm sorry I'm repeating it, but you know, the um most important demographic for networks was women aged 18 to 49. So they tried to cater a lot of these films to that. And by doing that, they kind of were looking at what women were doing in the real world and then putting it into these films. So you would see these kind of like a lot of second wave feminism. You also saw a lot of characters that were housewives, blah blah blah. Some another thing that T V movies like to do was that they liked they can't really do a lot of things that theatricals can do in terms of like sexuality or violence so they made a lot of movies that kind of rested on the gothic because the gothic um can be under the radar sexy or under the radar scary um and it doesn't necessarily cross any lines with the fcc or the networks or anything and this movie's got a very gothic atmosphere to it and um at the house um, and it's got that sense of melodrama that you find in gothic films. And it's about the family, which is probably the most important aspect of the TV movie all across the board. Like there's lots of TV movies that aren't about families, but I would say the majority of them are about families falling apart, families coming together, families beginning, families ending. It's always about the family. And now for Elaine Rapping, who wrote this really wonderful book called movies of the week. Um, she talks a little bit about in the drama The TV movie, the family always has to be stronger at the end of the film, and that's almost always correct. Um, But that's not necessarily the case in genre films, and she doesn't talk about genre films in her book at all. Well, she talks about melodrama as a genre, but not like horror or suspense or action um, or thrillers or any of these things. Um, And so, so this movie has all of these elements that people have written papers on. Yet nobody's like written about this film. It's like a perfect example of how you make a great classic. ABC movie of the week and have it fit all of those little holes that the networks are trying to fill in and not only do that, but make it an amazing film. And so I'm floored by this movie. I'm floored by it. I think it's excellent. And it doesn't mean it's the best movie ever made necessarily, but I think it's really fucking good. And I think that it's doing everything that makes me so excited about what TV movies are doing and so it's a perfect example for anybody who's interested in exploring the world of made for tv movies and um and if you listen to my lectures or you listen to me talk about them here and you want to see a really good example this is the film this is probably the the best film you can see that does that and so i'm ashamed that i'm just now seeing it because i would have incorporated it into my talks by now and now i want to go out and lecture i'm going to go on a circuit starting tomorrow I'm going to hit all the major cities and we're going to talk about this film because it's it's so vitally we'll there. important to yeah. me. But so that's why I love it's... it. And I agree with Dan. Like, I don't necessarily agree, agree. I mean, I think it's fine with all the scenes and everything. But And I can see people watching it and being like, Amanda, this is not the best movie ever made. But like, I... but it just does so many things right. You know what I mean? And and yeah. I get excited just thinking about this film. It's perfect for, for me. So I... so I might overdo it. But that's what I'm here for.
0: So I, I I was gonna say when when I got to the end of it the second time, and suddenly I it all clicked in what the movie was doing, and I was like, oh my gosh, wow, that's really good, wow, that's did I still think it was a little long maybe, but it was just like the movie what it's doing is so wonderful and crazy at the same time and so when you when you get to the end and and there might be people who are smarter than me you watch it the first time and you go oh i get it okay but i didn't see it the first time i saw it as sort of just a matriarch led house full of guys but then the second time i was like oh wait bees okay i get it and and it was just like wow this is really good so so like you said it's a, it's one of those things where i could point to a half a dozen films i tv movies that i think are much better than this but this it 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 follows its it it, it takes up a through line and it follows it all the way through really nicely and when you get to the end you're like oh yeah well done well
1: oh done. yeah you
0: lean oh, back yeah. with your cigarette oh yeah, yeah. exactly yeah a cigar <laughs> a pipe whatever you know it's just like yeah
1: and, I mean, this movie is most famous because Gloria Swanson's in it, and she let mm-hmm. somebody put, like, 300 bees on her. And yes. it, it made the papers because of that. But it's so much more than that. And and when Gloria Swanson made the movie, and I won't read the entire, she did some interviews to promote the film, which was amazing. And she talked a lot about how she created the character. And, and there's some it's such a collaborative and that doesn't happen a lot with tv movies because they had a very short shooting schedule they go in they've got to make this genre film and then they leave and they go on to the next project but she really thought of a lot about the character she created the accent but one of the things she did that i love so i don't know if you noticed i his name must appear in the credits but joel schumacher was the production oh designer. yes
0: i saw that yeah yeah
1: and so it turns out um he did her costumes and everything, oh. and he developed the character with her in a way. So she talked to him. They did it all by the phone. She said she really liked working with them, um, and uh, they helped develop her style. But one of the things they did, and I didn't even think about it until I watched the movie after I read the interview. But like, you know, she's got those Princess Leia buns at the beginning. Yes, yeah. And yeah. it's honeycomb, right? She's she's oh, trying to make right. those look like honeycomb. And then, if you'll notice, at the end of the film, and this is where we start to get a little spoilery. Kate Jackson has worn her hair long through the whole film until the very last scene where she has it back in a bun, and she hasn't yes. quite gotten it as twisty as Swanson's hair, but the, you can see the honeycomb starting to develop.
0: But she's the younger version, so she's yes, yes, yeah.
1: yes, and it's such a neat little subtle thing.
0: It's 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 it. The film is uh, once, like I said, once you once you catch exactly what they're doing, go watch it again, and you just like wow. It's it's one of those kind of yeah, movies. Yeah, just no. like there
1: was so much thought put into all these little things that are happening mm-hmm. in the movie. And again, like what I love about it is that there's uh, also uh, a mimicking of the house. There's the house and then like, the oh, little yes. tiny house that the bees <laughs> live in, right? And mm-hmm. it looks like their house. And, mm-hmm. and it's just this beautiful little thing where they're intersecting the bees and the family and, and what it mm-hmm. means. And, and are the bees part of the family, right? Yes. And, and what they mean. And, and there's this whole story too that Gloria Swanson tells about how they ended up in America right and and how they brought the bees with them and oh, and yeah. there's this loyalty right mm-hmm. and it, and she 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 puts the bees on her finger yes. and says I love you and like she's so bold in the role but like so she anyway but she had a I don't know how big of a hand she played in like in like her character total like what was written and what she brought but in terms of the aesthetic and these little touches she, really did so much more than just put a bunch of bees on her. Yes. You know? I I
0: I, I want to say w- w- with with her I know her her next thing was um was Airport 75 I think. Oh
3: and, yeah.
0: And and in that that was meant to be a TV movie but it became you know that? A, it became a theatrical I don't know at the last minute. I don't think you could do that at the last minute. But it was originally a TV movie, but but they decided to make it into Airport seventy five. But it came out in seventy four. And Gloria Swanson plays herself, and she spends basically the whole movie just sitting talking about herself. That's right. To a woman next to her, and it's, it's 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 ultimately one of those. It's such a goofy movie. Um,
1: it's great though. But, it's my favorite. But of it's.
0: I love. I I love. It's. My favorite is seventy seven. Just because I love that they go underwater, Water, yeah,
3: that's a But that's a
0: crazy I, name. I adore, and I love. Um, um. She's I forget her name. The the um oh I'll I'll remember in a minute. But there's an actress in that I love the one that was in the first Columbo, one of the first Columbo's. What's Lee her Grant? name? Lee Grant. Yes, yeah,
3: she's oh, I love in that. Her. Yeah, she she's
0: so good her. in that. Where she she she's so good in that, and um and it's Jack Lemmon. Uh, but but Airport 75, yeah, Gloria Swanson just basically. Just sits talking to a woman telling her life story. So it it cuts from everyone else to her just talking about herself, playing herself. She's
1: writing a biography and she's talking about how she used to either date or hang out with Howard Hughes. And she talks about his plane, and she's like, and we did loop-de-loops. That's what I remember yeah. her saying in the movie. Oh, I love it. And, and the moment the plane is going down,
0: it's like, make sure you save the tapes or whatever. Yeah, that's make sure right.
1: You
0: <laughs> put those in the black box kind of thing. And it's, but it's like when I see her in this, I think, oh, a little bit later. I, 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 I always wonder if like she had been um, hired to do that when it was still a TV movie or or afterwards when it became a theatrical I don't know, but uh, but that's whenever when I see her in this, I think, oh, she's in Airport seventy five next. I want to watch that again, with um you know um Norman Fell and Conrad Bain. Oh my God, and, um,
1: Heston.
0: It, yeah, it was it Norman Fell, Conrad Bain, and um, uh, the um one of the dads from Seinfeld, um who yells at the one who yells at everyone where they play the three drunk guys. Who just sit there the whole is, time drunk? Is that the, the one mental one... biomes? Yes, yeah. And yeah. just sit the whole time uh, drunk, yell, and they yell at Myrna Loy.
1: That's what I was gonna say. Is Myrna Loy like passed out while the plane's going down?
0: Um, uh, I, no, it's um, it's it's one of the guys. Who's oh, okay. okay. Myrna, Myrna Loy is sitting next to Sid Caesar, and she's having Boilermakers. That's right. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> Airport seventy five. Everyone, if you haven't seen it, you have to watch it two three five. You will have a great two it, hours of life.
1: It would be an interesting double feature with this movie because would,
0: Gloria, Gloria Swanson,
1: yeah. the thing that I got from reading interviews with her, because she did actually set out to promote this film, which was a big deal. And she did a, a couple of press conferences, which were huge, it looks like. and But she seemed surprisingly approachable. You know Mm. because i think of her in sunset boulevard and oh and also i mean she was a silent film actress which i think brings a lot to the role here because she was able to um over articulate things but also like not overdo the part you know what i mean like she was able to make it big but without stepping over a lot of lines you know and so and i think maybe her background helped with that but i was reading these interviews with her and she was like that airport 75 character she liked to talk a lot about her life and and
3: uh-huh. her thoughts on
1: the world, but she also <laughs> seemed really kind of warm, and um, and I wasn't yeah. expecting that because I'm used to her in movies like this. You know what I mean? And uh-huh. she's not von, Madame von Bolen is not a particularly <laughs> warm person, yeah. and um and so like. She's just really interesting, and the fact that she cared so much to come into this little, what probably a lot of people considered throwaway TV movie, mm-hmm. and to and to do which the tremendous work that she did in it is like astounding to me, and it makes me love her. And she actually said um, in interviews that she found that her younger fans were actually really cool. And that she kind of liked hanging out with them more because she felt like she was sort of young at heart, and also mm-hmm. she was interested in a lot of stuff that was happening in the '70s in terms of conservation um, mm. and the environment. She was really into the environment. So was Edward Albert, um, who played oh, yeah. Victoria's boyfriend I, in this.
0: Yeah, Eddie Eddie Albert was one, he he was um, he was one of the people who got DDT banned. He, he, his home in the Pacific Palisades was an enormous mansion that had a huge garden, just like in, um, well, I was going to say the British sitcom, the good life, but just sort of like a green acres kind of thing. And that's, that's the way that's, and I think Edward grew up in that.
1: Yeah. It's so cool. So I think that they probably got along really well. And also this is the movie that Kate Jackson met Edward Albert and they Mm -hmm. became quite the item. And they also starred in death cruise together. Oh, yes. Which we covered Love on the show. Yeah. So, like, this movie has a lot of stuff happening in it. And Curtis Harrington said later that this was one of his favorite films to make. And I think I can see why. Mm-hmm. Because even though I'm looking at it from, like, a subtextual marketing, blah, 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 work <laughs> approach, I mean, I think he I think he knew he had something really solid, mm-hmm. you know, when they handed him the script. Which, by the way, we'll talk about the two people who wrote it, but they were a married couple who had doctorates. Oh, wow. So we're talking about two PhDs coming in and writing this terrific little film and so I think a lot of the stuff that we're talking about was absolutely intentional you know what I mean I don't think like I'm reading anything into the film I think there's a lot of thought
0: I I think it's very I was gonna say I think it's very much to me like I I mentioned uh, like Bergman earlier you watch some Ingmar Bergman films or 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 films of that like and, and you sit there and you watch them going hmm what's going on here and then you get to the end and get a realization of what you've seen and then you go back and watch it again and it brings it all, all sort of to life, as it were. And that's kind of what this is. You sit there watching it the first time going okay, who's this crazy old broad with the Princess Leah buns who's got the bees? <laughs> and what's the lady from Charlie's Angels doing there? And who's that guy who kind of looks like Eddie Albert but looks also a little Spanish? I think Edward Albert. I think the, his mother was Spanish. She
1: was like a um, flamenco dancer.
0: Yes, 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 yes. Eddie Albert, yeah. And so there's this there's this, a little bit of, I don't know what's going on there. And, and But then you get to the end, and then when you realize what's going on, you go, okay, Watch it a second time and you can see that everything's there. It's one of the, it's one of those movies, I think.
1: Yeah. It's just, and you were talking about like how Harrington was able to like place his actors in these like really interesting shots and stuff. And yes. the shot I always think of in this film is when, uh, Victoria first goes into the attic
3: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and
1: it's just like a beehive. Yes, And this amazing scene, you know, where she's just sort of framed in the middle of it. And fact, the house itself is so beautiful. And you were talking about Hell House. And I know this isn't the same, but uh, when you were talking about that, it made me think about how much I love films where you don't exactly know where you are in the house.
0: The geography. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah, And there's a little bit of that here. And it's just natural because it's a big house and, and we're not really given a tour of it. And mm-hmm. it's like that in Don't Be Afraid of the Dark as well. Like the kitchen's yes. here, but I don't know where it is in proximity to the bedroom, and so I'm not sure mm-hmm. where she is in the house right now, you know. And so yes. like, and this movie kind of has that feel to it. And so when she's wandering around the corridors, and then she goes into I don't know what you call that the wine part, the cellar, the wine
0: cellar, though. Yeah, the wine cellar. Yeah, wherever
1: yeah. that big part is where she runs into the sheriff, who by the way was Aston on Quincy, John S. Reagan, <laughs> and I was dying because I love him so much. Um, <laughs> and uh, and she. Uh, She's just kind of wandering this premises where you never really know what it is but then well, at you're... the same time it's home, right? And yes, it's yes. such a weird feeling. Like because it is so massive and it's so mm-hmm. underexplored mm-hmm. by us, you yeah. know what I mean? It,
0: yeah, it's 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 even I, I was for, for some reason I was watching it for a moment and I said to myself something like how oh, this, this is this is kind of like South Fork. You know, mm. we spent 14 seasons in South Fork. And we never quite figured out the geography of that. Even even, even the season where they set the place on fire. You know, it was like we never quite figured out the geography of, of, of the place. Now, not that you need to, but sometimes it's nice to. Yeah. Um, but you don't always have to. And that's, that's the thing with the horror film, like with the hell houses, is you go through the same rooms over and over again. But it doesn't it seems like things keep moving or something so so it seems weird so this is kind of like that it's like this is a this is another world these people are in
1: and this is totally off topic but another movie i just rewatched it for the hundred thousandth time this weekend with a friend of mine (laughs) is the unnameable is that how yes you don't because like because like somebody turns a corner and then all of a sudden they've disappeared yes and 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 they should be within shouting distance from the person that they left, but somehow they can't hear each other anymore. Mm-hmm. And it's, I love it. It's jarring. So this, the house isn't quite like that. Like people don't turn corners and disappear, but you definitely don't know where you are at any given time. And like, and it, it's so massive and it like, it almost feels like it's going to eat you alive and which is ironic. Right. And so like um, uh, it's like, it's just part of what makes the film like so eerie and atmospheric and, um, and what it is, you know, it's just oh, so beautifully done.
0: You never yeah and you you never quite and it, it's one of those films that never it doesn't give you an answer it just shows you what sort of the next round of this world does yeah. sort of it, it's so there's no there's no solution there's no you you come out of it going okay sh- this is the next. And there'll be a sequel, Killer Bees Two, which will do kind of the same thing.
1: Yeah, that's interesting that you say that because it's the next generation, right? So, like it, yes, it's yeah. still dealing with family here, and so it, that th- that and they say it all the time. Like, there's a whole conversation between Gloria Swanson and Kate Jackson. Yes. they use the word. For, it's like a drinking game.
0: Yes, it's like a woman must have a family. You must have a family that you can cry is something you can cry for, or something. Yeah, like she that.
1: talks she's... about like if you don't have a family, you're being selfish. You're you're to serve others, and blah oh, blah. Mm-hmm. She's got this whole spiel, and and she does. I don't think she knows at that point that Victoria is pregnant. Yes, and no, when I don't she think finds so. out, so. yeah. it goes.
0: Yeah, oh boy, yeah. There's yeah. and and there is that that moment too that that I I really like where um you you realize sort of that. All the guys I think kind of know that this is it's happening again. Yeah. Um where the the um the the physician brother says about like she's died, Madame has died, after fifty years of torture of yeah. life, she has died, and then you think fifty years?
1: Well, then he She's says
0: 70. 70 to 80.
1: Yeah, See, yeah, then yeah. He kind yeah. of changes it because then they say something else and yes. then he says 70.
0: Yeah, it, exactly. So so then you realize that, wait a minute. OK, there's something there's something a little <laughs> weird going on there. That's that interesting. He said that. yeah. and, then, and then so it's, it's like I don't want to spoil it, but I was going to say I don't want to spoil it. But 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 the rest of my point is the thing I don't want to spoil. So enjoy the first. <laughs> of my yeah,
1: it's hard. I don't know. I don't know how much we want to go into. Cause the ending is so cool. And it's, it's, I have questions about the ending as well. So yeah, me too. Me too. So I don't know. Should we just go there?
0: Um, sure. If you want Nate, do you have time for a, a couple minutes on the ending?
1: Um, yeah, I've
2: got a few minutes left, so okay. I can talk for a few more minutes.
1: Okay, right. let's just do it real quick. So so just briefly, so Madame dies, and they have this funeral, and at the funeral, the bees show up to mourn her loss, and one of the altar boys accidentally kind of makes them go crazy by smacking the coffin. Uh, that's why he I was, was never an altar boy. They are yeah. idiots. And, um, and so the bees end up chasing everybody, you know, and then while that's happening, <laughs> boom, that's the noise. And it's then while be- that's happening, Victoria's kind of like at the house and she discovers kind of what's been going on. And so the house is basically like a beehive and at least the attic. And, and then I think I can't remember if she passes out or not. And then she comes to I and everything that. kind of calms down. But then Edward Albert comes home and she's there and she's just a little different. Right. And she's yes. got her hair in this bun and, and the she the seems other, more
0: at home. I she guess. seems more
1: at home, and the other brothers seem to be aware of what's happening, but it takes him a little because he wants to leave, and she's like, "We're not going to leave. We're going to stay here. This is where we are now. This is our home." And and the cop comes back, and he's and he's trying to get because she'd been helping him the pol- Victoria had been helping the police officer with their investigation with some of the strange murders around town and then it was clear that they weren't going to get anywhere and i don't understand how the sheriff isn't privy to all this stuff when other people are but anyway and so he's like <laughs> forget it i'm done just you do your thing but what's so interesting about the ending is that for me is that we have a general idea that she's now become the matriarch of the family and also the queen bee yes. but What's so weird about it is in one of the very last shots, Edward Albert, who had originally had run from the family, smiles. Yes. And I can't figure out why. And I don't know if you guys have thoughts about that, Dan or Nate?
2: I mean, my thought was because at first he's not smiling. Right. But I think once he sees like how she's settling in and how she really wants this, Maybe I think he just his love for her is just mm. like well I, I can do this.
3: <laughs> I so got let's this. do
2: it.
0: Yeah, yeah, let's. We got one on the way. Let's we can do another. Yeah, I like that.
1: Did you have any thoughts, Dan?
0: Oh um well well one of the thoughts I had is when the movie starts it reminds me of the beginning of Dallas when when Bobby and and um, oh, Pam yeah show up. And they arrive back and everyone is kind of against Pam and kind of, I mean, um, what, I mean, I think Jr makes Pam miscarriage like twice in the first two seasons, you know? So, so they don't like, so to me, that's kind of what this is. It's almost like if Pam had been accepted, if, if Miss Ellie had passed and Pam had been accepted into the family, this would have been a moment where Bobby would have complete because Bobby in the series never even at the end, even even in the new series, he's part of it, but he's not a part of it. Right. And, and, and so that that's and I know this is this is four years before Dallas begins. But it looks a lot like it, doesn't yeah, it? it? Does. I they're, agree. Because they're in a, they're in a convertible, which is exactly what Pam and, and Bobby were in. Um and but but this is very much to me, this is um I I I think maybe this is um. I think when she becomes the queen bee, if she's the queen bee, and these are her drones, they they accept it, yeah, and they live and they're part of it. And that her her next child will be a boy, and then she'll have another boy, and maybe another boy, and those boys will meet some girls. Maybe we won't meet those girls, but they'd have some more boys, and then eventually we'll have another girl in 50 years from now when Kate Jackson's character is... Where 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 um Gloria was. Oh,
1: that's interesting. And, yeah.
0: And, and so to, to me, I don't know if they say how long this winery's been going. They say it's been the wines have been infused with honey for a while, which at first sounds like the best thing ever, and then four seconds later sounds something I never like, something I never <laughs> want to drink. But but I I, th- I think to me that that's what this is. This is a this home is a beehive, and and and. When Gloria Swanson died, she got to play. Obviously, she got to play by Kate Jackson, the new queen. And these are the drones and they will have more drones, although it'll be a little slower and right. stuff like that. And the reason why he's he's in it is because maybe it's I, I, I think maybe it's a um, just an ancestral thing. Maybe they've been here for a 100 years. And him wanting to leave has been bested by the woman he loves whole, uh, with her child, his, his and their child, um, besting his wanting to get the hell out of there.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, I like your answer to that. That works so, for me. Yet again, you're <laughs> explaining things to me. You're mansplaining.
0: I did it again. I try not to. I try to go in reverse where you'll just, you'll like my family ties joke, you'll go, ha ha. We'll just go whatever.
1: But it took me a second to get it. That's where I am.
2: Have you guys seen Kate Jackson recently? She's not far off from the same age Gloria Swanson was in this movie. And I'm like, it's like a night and day difference.
1: People
0: are looked so much younger these
2: days. They
1: do. They do. do. Yeah, I agree. They really do.
0: Because it's always like sequel. Because whenever I see David Jansen in something, and he's like, 40, "I'm forty years, I'm, yeah." I'm I'm forty years old, and I thought when I was forty years old, I looked twenty five. So David, <laughs> you're doing some hard living. I'm I'm older than forty now, and I I
1: look I'm I, I'm looking my mid thirties
0: probably. <laughs> but you guys, you look yeah. definitely
1: younger than David Jansen. Yes, sure,
0: I yeah. don't I don't know I don't know what the hell they were doing back then, but it it hurts.
1: It's smoking.
0: Yes, exactly. I think so. Yeah, wasn't it like it just made you crusty or something. Also, those I don't
1: weird Jello desserts they made you eat. Yeah,
0: <laughs> like not
1: regular Jello, but like weird dinner Jello that would have shit. Yes, in they it. used
0: to do that, right? They yeah. would do these weird gelatin. That ages you. Yes, oh, folks, come on. <laughs> and having a, ste- having a steak every night must do something to you, right?
1: Or yeah, I'm a not. vegetarian, so I'm not even gonna like consider. I it.
0: I haven't had a steak in uh, 20 years, yeah. I, so I don't know, but
1: yeah. <laughs> but uh, anyway, she should do the sequel because it's just time for yes. us to see what I, became of the Von Bolens.
0: Yes, I feel bad that Edward Albert has passed.
1: I because, I feel really bad about that because he was quite young. He was only 55, he, I think, when he died. He
0: was, and it was funny because the last few years of his life, he took care of his, his dad. dad,
1: and then he was he died his a care- year later.
0: Yes, that was so weird. It was like when Eddie Albert died at age 98 or 100, 99. Yeah, it was just like, we all thought he was 10 years younger, but he lied at some point. And then they found out he was 10 years older. (laughs) And, And so he like died at 99. And then Edward died like a year later. It's like, oh, wow, that's like, that's sad and sort of sweet and compassionate at the same time kind
1: yeah, of yeah i don't know he was really cool and i miss him a lot i like he, yes he, he yeah. did so many of these great films i don't know if you guys have ever seen the house where evil dwells
0: oh i love yes. the house yes. Where Evil yeah. Dwells. that's <laughs> so much fun with susan george
1: yeah when i was a kid yes. that movie played all the time and i was so HBO. fascinated by it. yes him. yes I and he that.
0: was in he was in the yellow rose the uh sam elliott sybil shepherd dallas ripoff
1: oh, oh i remember right
3: that
0: he was in that and he played, he played, his character was Hispanic. Hmm. And I remember when I watched it, I thought, mm, I don't know. And then I thought, Oh, wait a minute. His mom was Spanish. So I'm a, uh, I'm a, yeah, I'm a, I think that's
1: fair play for once. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. That's fair play. I, I, uh, but, but yeah, that he was in that for the season and that he was really good in that too, but he was in a lot of fun stuff. Yeah. Yeah,
1: He was great. He was a wonderful actor. And, um hmm. and I think, is that all we have to say about this one before I go into the background?
0: I think so. I think yeah, because so. I might
2: have to cut out, I'm afraid. Yeah, of I course. thought you very might. sorry. So that's but okay.
0: That's, it's great to have you back.
1: Yeah,
3: yeah I'm
2: that's
0: glad that's to be to back. To <laughs> it was fun.
1: It was. Yeah. And thank you for sharing your movie moments. Those were all great. Oh, yes,
0: those so, are thank great. Thank you very Thanks much.
2: You. <laughs> Just very quick before I leave, uh, one honorable mention I'll give is to the jester scene in House Sorority Row.
0: Oh, yes. I, sw- I, I, sw- watched that. I watched that over the weekend. I grabbed the blue. I watched that over the weekend. Oh my gosh! Yeah,
1: that's a great. That's a beautifully great, shot. Movie.
0: Great movie. Yeah, got he's
1: got it. a lot of scary that's stuff it. in it.
0: Yeah, yeah. The I toilet, know. the head. In
1: the okay. toilet. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's awful. Anyways,
0: <laughs> dumpster oh. comedy. It's all great. Yeah.
2: yeah you guys have a great night. You too. I can't too. wait to Today. talk again. We
1: will we'll see talk soon. To you soon,
2: sir. We'll right. talk
0: to you soon. Okay.
1: Bye. Bye bye. So let me just do the background real quick, and then we'll we'll do our shameless self promotion and let everybody. Go <laughs> to bed. Okay, so if they're listening late at night, so okay, this aired on February 26, nineteen seventy four, on ABC. On NBC, it ran against Police Story, which uh, was a very special ninety minute episode with Sal Salminio. And on CBS, it ran against an episode of Hawaii Five O and the TV movie Manhunter, which I meant to look up.
3: Oh yeah. and I could be wrong. I got it here. Yeah, it
1: stars Ken Howard. But I think yes. I think I think uh, Quentin Tarantino wrote a review of that movie. Uh, for the new Beverly's website. Oh, wow. And I haven't seen the movie yet, but I have it on VHS. It did have a VHS release. So if anybody is curious about that film, I think that's the one he reviewed. Um, Go to the new Beverly's website and look for his review. And then he'll, he gives a whole thing about it. It's a very long piece. Um, Quinn Martin production. Yeah. Yes. Uh, And so uh, this movie did really well in the ratings. It came in 11th for the week. It got a 24.9 slash 36 and came in number 17 for the season. Um, so I, I didn't explain the ratings again. Um, and that's because I barely understand them (laughs) myself. I always, always, yeah, yeah. I always go with the second number, which is the 36, which basically means that 36% of people with televisions who are watching TV that night, which would have been Tuesday, I think, right. Tuned in Mm -hmm. to watch the killer bees. So that's, means that doesn't mean the whole united states of america that means 36 percent of people who were watching tv that night but it also means more than one person probably watching the tv right so so i don't know what that term comes into in terms of millions of people but it's a lot it's over Mm -hmm, a third mm -hmm. of the television viewing audience so this was shot in napa Napa valley napa valley and uh (laughs) the locations um in napa valley include oakville rutherford yontville and calistoga um Like the Cat Creature, it had a very fast turnaround. It began production in 1973, um, and it aired just two months later. Uh, As I mentioned, Kate Jackson also did Death Cruise in 1974, which also starred Edward Albert, who was dating her at the time. They were a hot item for a couple years. They were in all the papers. Um, And of course, she was starring in Rookies at the time and was super close to Charlie's Angels. Uh, but it had a huge phenomenal stardom hadn't hit her just yet. But of course, um, she was perfect for this because her television debut was in Dark Shadows.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And of course she mm-hmm. appeared in the movie Night of Dark Shadows. So Gothic, horror, oh, yes. melodrama, yeah. that's all right there for her. Mm-hmm. Um and of course Gloria Swanson began her film career at nineteen. She was actually discovered playing a bit part in a film in Chicago. And then throughout her career, she would do all kinds of stuff. She was kind of an entrepreneur, so she would go on to work in fashion design and cosmetics. Um, The second act of her amazing career began in 1971 on Broadway when she performed in Butterflies Are Free, uh, which is interesting because Edward Albert, you know, starred in the film adaptation of that. Um, The year before she did Killer Bees, she appeared on The Carol Burnett Show because she was a huge fan of Carol Burnett's impression of Norma Desmond from Sunset Boulevard. (laughs) She had, a, she had a lot of fun doing it, she said. In yes. Interviews. After she did The Killer Bees, like immediately afterwards, she went um, and spent the holidays with her son and then attended a five-day Gloria Swanson film festival in Orlando, Florida. Wow. Yeah, this was her TV movie debut. Um So she did a couple of really long interviews, and I, I copied all of the text, but I don't feel like I'm going to read it because I feel like I've kind of gone over what she said without reading direct quotes. What I will say is that she really uh, seemed to enjoy doing it. It was a pretty intense schedule. She said she worked long hours, but she got to create the character and she had a lot of fun with the costumes and apparently working with Joel Schumacher. Um, And she was drawn to the script. She said, I will read this quote. She said, quote, well, I hate to wade through most scripts. They are so sordid and dreadful. The character of Madame von Bolin, uh, my part in this movie intrigued me. She could be just as destructive as Nora Desmond, and I knew I had to work at it." So um, she was just really drawn to this, and it's amazing because she must have gotten some really interesting scripts over the years. But um, this one she was just drawn to, and she apparently um, really liked it. I'm guessing it was a good set because Harrington had really fond memories of making it. Um, And we've talked a little bit about Edward Albert. I think we covered everything that I said uh, about his being an environmentalist. And you talking about his dad and everything. And, of course, Craig Stevens plays one of the brothers as well. Mm -hmm. Probably best known for playing Peter Gunn. Um, And the year he did this, he also did another great TV movie titled The Elevator, which put him alongside Swanson's co-star in Airport 75, Myrna Loy. Hey. And that's where a bunch of people get trapped on an elevator together. And it's a really great little disaster flick. You know, something you were talking about, about how they take these movies and then make them really intimate.
3: Mm-hmm. The
1: elevator does that as well.
0: Oh, yes. So it's you, like hang, hanging by a thread. The, yeah, uh, you may want two to see two-part uh, Irwin Allen movie. Yeah, yeah that's... Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. And I've talked a little bit about John S. Reagan. I think that's how you say his last name. Um, who played Astin so. on um, Quincy. He started his career working in army training films but then he became a character actor and then he got his role in Quincy. he ended up starring in the soap opera Santa Barbara in the 90s first season and um and the year he did Killer Bees, he also did Earthquake So here's all the disaster movies <laughs> coming to the forefront. Great time. Um, and as I mentioned, this movie was written by a husband-wife duo. They were named John William Corrington and Joyce Hooper Corrington. Both of them had PhDs. Both of them would go on to work on soaps. They developed the Soap Texas, which I remember watching when it originally aired. They worked on Search for Tomorrow, Capital, General Hospital, and One Life to Live. Um, they also wrote uh, The Omega Man and Battle for the Planet of the Apes.
0: Oh, that's where I knew their name
1: from. Yeah, and the couple also wrote mystery novels together. Uh, I think he died. I feel like she's still alive. Um, And he, uh, John William Corrington, was also a lawyer and a professor. Mm. So they were really interesting, uh, had a really neat background. Kevin Thomas of the LA Times loved Killer Bees. He completely understood <laughs> it. He wrote, quote, Killer Bees, ABC's macabre Tuesday movie of the week, airing at 8.30 tonight, is one of those instances in which the story is so far out if that it becomes inconceivable that any other star or director could bring it off. And Gloria Swanson, the one and only, and Curtis Harrington, specialist in the eerie and the sinister, are the perfect combination for Joyce and John William Corrington's spooky, ingenious tale. And like I said, he said the film, quote, belonged to the ladies, which I totally agree with here. Yes. Um, oh,
3: yeah.
1: oh, unfortunately, Howard uh, Thompson of the New York Times called it a, quote, tedious, prolonged bore. So you didn't <laughs> think it was tedious, but he, I think he also felt maybe there was a little too much happening there. I I, I
0: um, I, 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 I can't um, fault uh, the stuff that happens, but I also think that if it were tightened a bit... It's, it's like, you know, I just recently watched the uh, most recent James Bond movie, No Time to Die. I loved it. But at the end of it, I thought that could have been 20 minutes shorter.
1: Yeah. yeah so it's...
0: so I, I think, yeah, it's just.
1: I agree with you. I mean, I don't agree with you because I love the film as it is. But I can agree somebody with somebody who's it the way you see it easily.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: So, I mean, but I think what the critics, I don't agree with the tedious, but I think he got that part where he felt like, well, maybe it could have been edited down or something. Mm -hmm. But um, um, critics would also compare it a lot to the birds, which I'd see. Um, And uh, I wanted to mention briefly about what was happening in the world of actual killer bees in 1973. (laughs) So in 1973, newspapers were reporting on what they called killer bees which were more aggressive bees uh, from Africa than the domestic bees, they were more aggressive then. uh, There was this worry that once they got here, they would ultimately change the face of agriculture, Um, but that that would take about seven to 10 years for them to get here. Um, About 15 years prior to these reports in 1973, Brazil had imported the bees from Africa to help with their declining honey production. Um, And then the bees began to migrate to other places. Uh, What happened was that these bees were completely aggressive. They began stinging horses and people, and they were blamed for between 300 and 400 deaths, including 100 in the U.S. So that's when I guess there were just a smattering of them in the U.S. So um, that's where like the fear was coming from. But at the same time that this was happening, there was also a lot of newspaper articles about chemicals uh, that were used for farming, killing a lot of the bee population. So there was Mm -hmm. kind of yin and yang happening like oh my god we have these scary bees coming but at the same time we're killing bees and we're also destroying our own agriculture you know what i mean and so mm-hmm. i don't think this film was born of that but there it was actually killer bees were actually part of like our cultural landscape at this point did,
0: did you did you hear the story about the guy who left the bee hive open no um it, this, is, this was... is a
1: joke where i'm gonna not get it and then i'll get no it no no, no
0: no this is this is um I told this story on an on a, In Search Of related uh, podcast with Rob Kelly a few years ago. But when we were talking killer bees. But no, there's a story where they imported the African killer bees into Brazil. Because they wanted to mate them with the other bees. Um, and they had a whole bunch of killer bees in, um, in uh, uh, not cages, hives. And ap- apparently one day one of the scientists went over there. Started opening up some of the the things to check on everything, and apparently left them open.
3: Yikes!
0: So the reason why the killer bees got out was because some jackass left the hives open, and
3: mm-hmm. it was
0: basically it came out a little while later, and all the killer bees were gone.
3: Whoops!
0: And it was like, what the hell? And so so that's kind of where the um uh, some of the craziness came from is that there was like a swarm. I think that's uh, savage bees does that
3: Oh, interesting.
0: Sav- savage bees is about a brazilian savage bees is basically the tv movie variation of that where a guy from brazil comes up and says yeah we let a bunch of killer bees out and they're attacking new orleans
1: zoinks
3: yeah exactly so yeah. that's
1: interesting i didn't know that so that makes sense that, that i've seen these numbers of killer bee attacks
3: mm-hmm.
1: now you've answered all my questions again dan You've mansplained once again.
0: I did it once again, my in search of knowledge.
1: Yeah, it's pretty good. I appreciate <laughs> that. It's We just got the box set, so.
0: Oh, wonderful. Yeah, the, yeah. the full, uh, oh gosh, I love that set. It's so good.
1: Yeah, it's it's great. It's great. I love that show. And that's kind of all the background I have, which is perfect. So we, I think what we can do here is we'll talk about uh, what we've done, if you want to catch up with us, and then I'll give our contact information. So. Oh, sure. I'll just briefly say I, I I made a list of things that I think I haven't mentioned since the last time we recorded but I can't I know what the last episode we was we did was but I don't remember really when it came out and so uh, I don't Jeez. know I've done a lot so um so what you can look for is um if you're interested in the commentaries that I've done I did night gallery season two which just came out and they just announced Night gallery season three which I just did some commentaries for and I'm really excited about. Uh, with my friend Lance Vaughn over at Trauma, I did a commentary for The Mysterious Island of Beautiful Women, uh, which was a lot of fun, a really weird little TV movie that we both enjoyed. Um, also with my friend Sam Pancake, who also has a TV movie podcast, which I can never get the title right, but it's like Sam Pancake's Monday afternoon movie, TV movie. I should have written that down. Um, but look for Sam Pancake. He's got this great TV movie podcast. He and I got together and we did Birds to Land's End. Which is a Showtime original that I I actually think is a very good film, despite the fact that it's a quote unquote Alan Smithy movie. Um, and the people who've reviewed it have been really kind to it, which makes me happy. Um, I did liner notes for Arrow's release of Flatliners, which was a lot of fun for me. I wrote about the history of near death experiences. Um, I did a commentary for Arrow for a TV movie that's. We, I don't think I've ever covered on the show, but it's called The Initiation of Sarah. It's huge. It's a real famous TV movie. And I was honored to be asked to contribute to it. And I had a lot of fun with that one. And I did a commentary for a movie that hasn't come out yet. I think it's coming out in October through imprint films in Australia called Testament, which is a, originally a made-for-TV movie about um, nuclear uh, a nuclear holocaust, but uh, was released theatrically first. So that Jane Alexander could get nominated for an Oscar. Which she did. And it's a really amazing film. And I ended up watching a lot of nuclear war movies. And I got totally depressed for like six weeks. While I did the commentary. But of all the films I've seen, Testament is the best film to me. In terms of what it's doing. uh, Dealing with uh, an intimate look at a nuclear holocaust. Um, And... I think I have another podcast coming. Um, I won't say too much about it now I'm working on it and, um, I'm excited and it's totally different than what I'm doing now. And I will let everybody know when that gets announced. Um, Dan, what are you up to?
0: Hey, Hey, Hey hey everybody. What's going on? Um, um, uh, what, uh, what, um, what am I doing? (laughs) I, I, I I forgot. I forgot. Now what I didn't write it down. Um, uh, I am, Adventure uh, Super Train is continuing. Uh, I think episode 134? Or 124, 134? I forget now. just went up. And we are talking, uh, let's see, it's, um, uh, uh, what are we talking about right in this episode? It's uh, Kiki writes to myself, we're talking Tales of the Gold Monkey. We're about halfway through it. That was an action adventure show from the early 80s. I loved it. And, and we're, um, uh, Christopher Bly and myself, we're talking Battlestar Galactica. We just did, um, geez, what episode was it? Um, uh, we're near the end of the show. I'm sorry. I'm blanking on the name of the episode, but we're almost near the end of Battlestar Galactica. And then, uh, Chris and Haas and myself are discussing The Middleman, which is an incredibly entertaining show from 2008. Um and uh, then my happy days podcast I just posted about a week ago episode season six episode four wow. discussing sweet 16 and fearless mouth and um, I'll be honest, I'm not really getting that much of a kick out of season six, but we're approaching season six is the one where they did a um they did a uh, Halloween Thanksgiving and Christmas episode. So I'm excited about those. And they do what an episode called The Claw Meets the Fons, oh, or like yeah, that, which is a classic. So I'm excited about those. Um, and then my um, minute-by-minute podcast are still cooking along, although they, they, ha- they are about to expand. They haven't quite yet, to five minutes at a time rather than one minute at a time. And it's a spooky minute spent in a ghost house, talking about ghost house and spookies. 70s friends of Frankenstein talking about Blackenstein and Frankenstein 80, and um, another one. Oh, Howling Two and Seven Two, which is Howling Two. Your sister is a werewolf and yeah. Howling 2, Moon Rising. Um, and those are those are those. And um, obviously, yeah. At the end of last year, my my fourth book, um, uh, uh, the Henningverse book, which I'm forgetting the name of, but I'm sure is great. Where is it? It's oh, it's right here. Wait a minute. Shh. From Beverly Hills to Hooterville, exploring the Henningverse, nineteen sixty-two, nineteen seventy-one. You can get that on Amazon, and I'm working on my uh, fifth book right now. Well, mm. I've written other books, but my fifth book to be published, uh, which won't be out till next year, but it's Doctor Who related for oh, any fine. of you who are Doctor Who fans, and um, that's about it, right? We have we have a, well, yeah, we had the tarantulas commentary came out, correct. And there's a, there may be another one coming out. I don't know. I can't say. Oh
1: yeah, hopefully that will be announced soon. So I'll tell you where to follow us online so you can see that when it does get announced. Cause Dan and I did another commentary and I think it's gonna be announced by the time this podcast comes out, but I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. So just, you can follow us at TV Mayhem Podcast uh, on Twitter on Instagram, we're just at Made for TV Mayhem. And on Facebook, just look up the Made for TV Mayhem show, and I'll make a point to post that there. I, I Sometimes I forget oh. to post things on the podcast pages, but that those are relevant. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and you can email us at tvmayhempodcast at gmail.com. Yes. Um, we're going to make such an effort to be more regular. My schedule, and I think Dan's schedule, and I know Nate's schedule, we just went haywire. It's and,
3: goofball,
1: yeah. Yeah, and so things are starting to calm down, and I'm getting excited about doing things that I... I really enjoy doing commentaries and stuff, but... I really like podcasting. It's more fun and laid back and less stressful.
0: Huh. Commentaries are, it's, it's literally, it's like, it's like you, you hit play and, and go. And if <laughs> you hope nothing goes wrong
1: yeah. for
0: 70, 80, 90 minutes and it's, yeah,
1: it's pretty
3: stressful. Yeah.
1: Or you're really good at editing and I'm not. So yes, exactly. I just do to do my one go. But, um, and also I have half a trap cast written so what what oh, happened yay. Which, between the last time we recorded and this day today Charles Siebert, who played Dr. Riverside passed away and i was in the middle of writing my first charles Siebert centric script because he's in an episode where it's, it's the first dr riverside episode and i feel like i want to do a tribute and so i kind of set it aside and i haven't really figured out what i'm going to do yet so um that really bums me out cuz i it, i always kind of hoped it maybe I'd get in touch with him somehow, and I even looked him up, and I just wasn't sure mm-hmm. really where to contact him. And I was going to see if maybe he'd be willing to let me interview him, and that's obviously not going to happen. But um, but I would like to carry on with the Trapcast, uh, and I feel bad that I have this what should be somewhat simple thing that I'm trying to do, and I just can't get
3: to it. <laughs> it kills me.
1: But anyway, so the goal here is to is for us to keep coming back. I haven't picked the next two episodes or next two movies we're going to cover but I have asked some people to return uh, that we've had as guests Oh, wonderful. Um, and maybe invite a couple of new people. So mm-hmm. hopefully we'll have some people here that will help egg us on as we go through these <laughs> uh, next few episodes that will hopefully be coming up before the end of the year. If not, uh, just hang with us. I really appreciate everybody uh, coming back, even though we take these long hiatuses. And... You know, I'm hoping that I can make it up with some really good contest swag in the next couple of months. Mm -hmm. So anyway, that's us for tonight. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Go watch all the Curtis Harrington movies you can watch (laughs) in one evening. They're all wonderful. And have a good uh, day or evening.
0: Yeah, be good to yourselves, everyone. Thank you for listening.